Thanks, Mike, for finally letting me tour the Cage Club Podcast Network studios. No problem, Brian. But hey, could you not tell Joey? He hates it when you mess around with his stuff. Is that every Nick Cage movie ever? Yup. From Fast Times to Massive Talent, this network is pretty much the house that Nicky Coppola built. Hey, what about over there? Where do those stairs go? It's this guy's movie. We're going to let him introduce both parts of the episode for his movie. So, uh, uh, this is uh, Uncle Francis's wine cellar. <clears throat> the Cut by Cut Francis Ford Coppola podcast. It's uh, not for yellow belly cowards or uh, anyone like that. <laughs> and uh, this is a Cage Club Network production. <laughs> I thought we were going to get like an Omar Bradley or... Oh, should I do a... Uh, Bernard Montgomery? Montgomery? Uh, this is Uncle Francis's wine cellar. The cut-by-cut Francis Ford Coppola podcast for lieutenants. Uh, <laughs> follow my lead. Uh, uh, carry up the rear. And this is a Nick Cage Club Pod Network production. Uh. <laughs> Sorry, that was very nice. impromptu. Nice. <laughs> Buena sera, have a seat, have a glass, and welcome to Uncle Francis's wine cellar. As always, I'm Brian Rodriguez, but... Where's Michael? We can't start the podcast without Michael. Well, I'm here. I just got back from World War II. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> my arm's tired. I was, uh, I was right there. But uh, now I'm here. And just like World War II was a sequel to World War I, today's episode is a sequel, kind of, because we are continuing our chat on Patton. This isn't Patton 2. Patton nice, 2 nice. does exist. We'll talk about it. But no. this is... <laughs> Yeah, Does I mentioned it, really? it last. I mentioned it last time. It's, it's been but, a while, and I've been doing stuff, and I forgot. I'm sorry. No, no, no. But I said I, I teased it for you. I said I would talk about it today, so I did my research a little bit. It's not too much to talk about, but we'll talk about Patton Two mm, in a moment, mm. which is ridiculous. But if you are keeping score at home, and you're like, oh, or maybe I guess if you're not keeping score at home, and you're like, oh, they're not talking about the director and the behind the scenes or how it got made. Press the back button or whatever you can press on your podcast app. Mm -hmm. Listen to last episode and yeah. you'll find that info. We're going to dive right into the movie after we take care of a lot of news. Because, Mike, uh, you said it, you alluded to it. It's been a while. Want to apologize for that. I had a move, which I said last time that I had a move. The move was a little bit more intense than I thought. Mm -hmm. So it took me time to even get internet and get settled in here. But happy to be back. That was supposed to be our 4th yeah. of July episode. It ended up just being our summer episode. But I think it was still That's fun. That's fine. That's cool, man. Like, don't no need to apologize or anything when that happens. You know, we uh, it would be one thing if we were getting all of those sweet, sweet licensing deals that we've been <laughs> fishing for one way or the other. You know, the watch people have nothing to complain about at this point. But uh, no, man, it's all good. It's just it's good to be doing these again. And uh, yeah, it's fun to just get back at it. That's all, you know. I mean, yeah, let's just pick right up. Oh, absolutely. One thing about the move that is so so disappointing, Mike. You're not going to believe this. What? So, so, look, we had to move a lot out ourselves because of, like, landlord stuff and timing. Uh-oh. And... Damage uh, control. You know, my wife's pregnant. It's not as easy, obviously. But, whatever, we rented a U-Haul truck. And I swear, Mike, someone must have, like, while I was taking multiple trips and moving in and out someone must have swiped a box and i'm not kidding this is not a joke 
Someone must have swiped a box from the U-Haul truck when it was open because we are missing one box, which had some mixing bowls, some stuff for the kitchen, and all my Francis Ford Coppola wine. Oh, my God. They, they took the winery. They took the wine box. I hope wow. they listen to the pod, at least. I hope so. I hope they're fans of Coppola that's and the pod. amazing. Imagine, I could just see them like going through everything. That's like, there's nothing here. Oh, look at this. <laughs> Coppola and- gold. And yeah, I bought some table wines and some, you know, not so cheap stuff. But I had some director's cuts in there that I was saving mm. for some good movies. So I'm pretty disappointed Dang. about that. And I just figured yeah. it out today. I knew we were missing some stuff. And I'm like, oh, crap, the couple of wine was in there. So I ran out of my apartment. The liquor store was closing like at 8. It was 7.50. I ran there. I, the first couple of wine I could see was this, which uh, I drank here before. But this Francis Coppola, uh, this is a like 2020 a- Black Label Claret. Oh. Had to have one for tonight. It's like a scene out of One from the Heart. He's running, looking for a liquor store just for that one bottle of wine so he could celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> I got it, so I'll be opening it tonight. And I'm happy to pour, Very nice. uh, pour one out tonight, Mike, because you know we're going to have a really fun show. A lot to go over since it has been a while since we've talked. Hope you're ready for it. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I uh, same to you. Like I've got some things written down. Also, you know, I've got notes. You know, I'm smart. <laughs> this isn't a one way uh, mirror or anything like that. Like uh, I'm contributing. No, but like I'm ready to go. I've got my, I've got my item to uh, to hawk. I've got uh, some things to talk. Oh, hey, that should be my, uh, that should be on my shirt. Items to hawk <laughs> and things to talk. Well, Mike, while I opened this wine, I noticed your hat. I thought it was like an old school Budweiser hat, but what does it say? Get tattooed? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't feel like it's that relevant. Well, I guess considering, okay, so this is something we haven't really talked about for a while on the show, right? The possibility of that happening. Oh, yeah. Getting a Coppola themed or or like a uh, one of his movie themed. And they're not tattoos. They're... If you've seen the Illustrated Man or read the book, they're referred to as skin illustrations. So oh. I've been saying saying that a lot around the house lately because I watched that recently. Yeah, it's just it's Mr. Flash Machine. He makes a lot of flash, and I wear this at the shop now. I mean, you had a busy July. You were you were at the shop a lot, so we both had a busy July. True. Yeah, I guess in a way it's just as well that you were moving and and I was working full time so on uh, like real job stuff. So yeah, it worked out just as well, you know, that we were both busy at the same time. So here we are less busy, but still busy, just not as busy. <laughs> One thing quickly before I got a lot of my mind, Mike, I got a lot of my mind. I feel you. One thing quickly before that, and I've sent you some, I posted some. As I poured the Coppola wine, I remembered it. The Instagram page for the Francis Ford Coppola Vineyards is amazing. Clearly, a filmmaker <laughs> works there. The stories Dude, I, think, they post, I think it's his granddaughter, right? Maybe. The stories they post behind the wine. There was one about Apocalypse Now the other day that I sent you. And it's but, just like, like but, quotes like, filmmaking, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they show the wine bottle. <laughs> I'm glad you brought this up early, I guess, because... Uh, like I'm watching it going like, oh wow! At first I'm like, this is cool. This is a fun idea. But like, then I'm sitting there going like, are you trying to tell me like, what are you trying to say here? I, I took, 
<laughs> is is his wine his apocalypse now of now? Like it, it was almost like he was saying what it meant to me was like Francis like made apocalypse now, and in order to like get back to normal, he had to create Coppola wine. <laughs> like, I think there was a part of that. I think it was like sharing the story to show like this is a labor of love, both the wine and the filmmaking. And he's so particular and so intricate that yes, yes. both processes were mirroring each other. I loved it. I don't. I don't care what you I, said. I, I don't know. No, it's not that I didn't love it. I was just a little confused. But I suppose like the reason they're using I guess Apocalypse Now instead of The Godfather is that he had full control over Apocalypse Now, right? Like that's considered more so his. Uh, his baby, you know, there was too many, there are all those other hands going on in the Godfather, even though that might be more apropos perhaps because thematically, I guess they drink more wine in the Godfather. (laughs) Uh, You know, you could tie that in a little easier, but um, you know, I can't wait to see what else they turn out on that, on that site. So, you know, all all of it's good. Speaking of the Godfather, Mike, I am (laughs) upset. We are under attack. During our little brief hiatus, oh my Uh-oh, goodness. We're going I, to the I, mattresses? I, we're going to the mattresses? We might have to go to the mattresses with the Barbie movie. Did you see Barbie, Mike? Brian, you know, we've we've been trying to get out to see the Barbie much more. I, I, I want to see that more than uh, Oppenheimer. I want to see both, but I, I, I you know, I, we'll go pay the theater money to go see Barbie in theaters for that spectacle. Sorry, Christopher Nolan. I know you're listening. I know we're your favorite <laughs> couple of podcasts out there. Uh, so the answer is no. Unfortunately, I've not not seen it. I still haven't seen Indiana Jones. I'm, I, you know, don't spoil. I'm the very dial, behind. The too, Dial Mike. of Destiny. Uh, can't. Wait. I'm incredibly behind. I did see. I did see though. I have to mention. I saw the new Mission Impossible. You can hear Joey and I, the Podfather, uh, check us out. Listening to us talk about that over on Cage Club, Tom Tom Club. Cruise Club. So, so Mike, you and I, when we walk down the street, people look at us and they say, those are manly men right there. They are the uh, apex of their species. Don't you sure. think? <laughs> Maybe. Not, not me. Maybe you. And I was watching the Barbie movie with my wife, and I was appalled. I wanted to walk out of the theater at one particular oh. scene. I, I sent you like a, a little write about it. I have an idea what it might be about. Is it is it also that scene that I hate in You've Got Mail? Does it have to do with something like that? Do you remember that nefarious oh, scene? I, I love that scene, but no. The scene that I just there. I just kind of referenced what they referenced by saying going to the mattresses. <laughs> yeah, going to the mattresses. <laughs> no, no, Mike. It's first of all, if you're out there and you're being like, "What? He didn't like the Barbie movie." I love the Barbie movie. I'm kidding. It's just that I think people, certain people, expected me and us to be outraged but i think mike just knowing you you would just laugh at this scene so everyone who's seen the barbie movie by now knows there's a big uh you know a lot a lot of feminist stuff in there a lot of great stuff and the kens they're amazing and i don't want to spoil it but the kens take over barbie land and the barbies sort of get their mojo back We'll, we'll say that right and they have to win back control of barbie land and one of the ways they're doing it is sort of like they need to lure the kens to one spot which is by the way is hilarious i I felt attacked in this movie on so many levels in a good way like i was laughing a lot if you can't laugh at yourself you can't laugh at yourself but regardless mike 
again, let me explain this scene to you. Let me Ken explain this scene to you. Um, so I can't. I can wait. <laughs> basically, they they want to lure all these Kens to the beach to one place, to kind of turn them against each other, and they love playing this Matchbox Twenty song with their guitars. But before that, each respective Ken is like doing their own thing. And they're all like, we'll say mansplaining their things, right? And there's one brief scene that I felt so attacked in a hilarious way. One of the Kens is watching a movie, and one of the Barbies goes up to him and like, what are you watching? And she's like, and he's like, The Godfather. And she's like, I've never seen it. He's like, wait, you've never seen The Godfather? Oh my god, it's Robert Evans and Francis Ford Coppola's vision of, it's like literally everything we talk about. And the theater <laughs> starts cracking up, and I'm like, oh my god. Are we these Kens? You know? Oh man, I can believe it. You know, and you know that's that's awesome. Glad it's like it's like the opposite of like I've been seen. It's like I've seen myself. You know, like thank you, Barbie, for sort of reflecting that image back on me that you see of me and I don't see of me. You know, I think I feel like that a lot with like movies in general. It's the first like certain filters and points of view and perspectives of directors and things like that. So it is great that we get a Greta Gerwig in there with her point of view and, and her filters and her perspective and stuff to filter through all this uh, pop, not just Barbie, but from what I understand, like the history of pop culture since it's like, she's, she's like was there from the beginning of American pop culture for the most part. The only thing before her were like cowboys, right? Like cowboy toys and, and uh, paper dress dolls and stuff like that. So that's fun. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait till the clip comes out because I'll definitely drop it in the episode because, Mike, again, mm. I want to clarify. I was not upset at all. I thought it was hilarious. Like, I well, couldn't you, help. You, you sound way less uh, hurt than the Schneider boys and girls, like the Schneider, the, the Zack Schneider folks or whatever. I've heard that they got, they took like a little, uh, you know, bump on the arm and they're all screaming to the heavens about it there are so many guys with because uh, i tried to look up the clip today to again drop it in the episode but it's not out yet there's so many guys who posted like don't watch the barbie movie it's propaganda my my co-worker was telling me that when she was in the theater a guy marched out and uh <laughs> his girlfriend had to bring him back in he was like this big muscly dude Wow. If, if you don't, again, watch the movie. I'm not going to spoil it. But if you didn't realize that that's the world we live in, then I hope you watch that and realize it. And look, if you're one of these people out there, you, so, you say it went too far, whatever. That's your opinion. I respect that. The one thing that I, I'll I, say, I, sorry, uh-huh, go ahead. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Well, I'm just going to say, like, I love that this is now the Barbie cast. Uh, but, like, she, Barbie itself, as, like, uh, a toy, a commodity, an icon, has it's been since I've been growing up very controversial, like in the eighties, everybody was accepted Barbie in the nineties. Everybody rejected Barbie in the two thousands. Barbie was struggling for a new identity. And now here we are with like the deconstruction of Barbie. So, you know, it's, it's got like, it's going through its entire lifespan. It's kind of fun. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. The last thing I want to say on that for now is I will go to bat and defend you and I from anyone who theoretically it was just like the opposite or exactly what they think a Ken would do. Oh, cause they're saying what Ken said was bad, right? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs>
By the way, there's a Michael Sarah character as Alan, which is like the first Ken. And I realize he's like wearing a shirt like I'm wearing today. And maybe I'm more Alan than Ken. I don't know. I think, you, yeah, you're an Alan with your beach wear and your, your yeah. <laughs> you want a beach? Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I will say that I very consciously and purposely try not to be that way. And I know, Mike, you are not that way of course we slip into film snobbery from time to time because we we love this stuff right we love it but this is our outlet for that like i don't do this to people on the street or people at work or anything you know what i mean like i'm not gonna sit down and pod splain anything you know (laughs) to people (laughs) like that's what this is for you know that's what i always assumed you know and like i even feel like we don't lay it on too thick like as thick as as we could really i also don't think you and i have ever gone on a podcast and said we are experts in this field i think we just enjoy talking about it we enjoy the subject matter yeah and we have a good time and again i'm not getting defensive i know people who say they're not getting defensive are getting defensive but if anyone feels like we're being too mansplainy or ken to ken or even just too like nerdy I apologize. Like, feel free to hit us up on social media. Well, well, yeah, I think we've said from the start, though, too, that, like, at least I have, right, as I, I try to take this one as the most, like, relaxed, unprepared in a lot of ways, just trying to have fun. You know, I'm not trying to, like, write a book after this or anything, like on other podcasts I've done. You know, you go listen to me on, like, Cinemakers with Joey, like, that's a <laughs> defunct show, but, like, we went through a lot of filmmakers' filmographies on that show with, and, like, we tried to be, or at least I did, tried to take it way more intellectualize it way more than I would on average, you know? And I think that's part of the reason the show stopped, because that's not entertaining. To I would just <laughs> want to try and be entertaining on this show, you know? And, like, kick back and have fun and, and talk about uh, Uncle Francis. And maybe have maybe have a little bit of wine. So, yeah. love us and, or and- hate us. If you really want to comment about us, or comment about anything, honestly, we love the feedback. Remember, Mike, keep your friends close and your fellow podcasters closer. Remember, remember Brian, keep the gun, uh, keep the cannolis. What is it? <laughs> Leave the gun. Keep no, the cannolis. No, we're not. We're not over yet. You can't say that yet. But yes, I follow know. follow us on social media. I am Omai Rodriguez on X. I was just going to yes. Say Can you it's believe X that? Now. Oh my Don't, god! Unreal. I hate this world. You are at the Mikester everywhere. We also have an Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar Instagram. Message us there. Follow us there. Hit us up there. And of course, keep this podcast going, this fledgling podcast that's about a year old, a little more than a year now. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Spotify. Apple Podcast. Not Stitcher. Not Stitcher. Not not Stitcher. Yes. Now we live in a world with X and not Stitcher. <laughs> and the world. other one. Damn you, lad. Why did you have to turn on the la- the Large Hadron Collider? What were they <laughs> thinking? You know, just because like, someone else in another parallel universe at the exact moment did this exact same thing. And they turned it on at the same time. And now we've swapped <laughs> places or something's happened. It's, it's a weird, weird world we live in. We're in a different Spider-Verse. Check out. Our episode hey, on in, uh, was across the Spider Verse on High School Slumber Party, by the way, that was a very fun one that we did. So nice. check it out; that is out now as well. So what else can we mansplain on the podcast, Mike? Let's see. Oh, oh, I, oh, oh, you oh, oh. Go, 
Okay, no, yeah. Before any of I, that, I, I missed this, Mike. I'm so sorry. I was going to add this to the Barbie Oppenheimer thing. So oh, you, yes. didn't, you didn't Barbie Barbenheimer it. You didn't see either of them. No, no, I'm, I'll do it at home. You know, I'll bar our Barbenheimer one day at home when I have the day off and nothing to do. I, uh, I, I know a lot of people on the network did. I saw Dan Cologne did. I think Joey did. Yeah, I believe so. My brother did. Like a, a lot of people I know did it and they had a blast doing it. I just saw Barbie. I want to see Oppenheimer like you. I'll try to see it before it gets out of the theaters, but again, if I have to see it in my home, sorry Christopher Nolan, I don't have an IMAX screen in my home, but I'll still enjoy it for sure. There is someone who also did not see Barbie nor Oppenheimer, but still enjoyed the fact that they were both wildly successful. And that man is Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, what did he have to say? He was ecstatic that these movies did well. So uh, this is from The Hollywood Reporter. Let me quote it. I have yet to see them, but the fact that people are filling big theaters to see them and that there are neither sequels nor prequels nor numbers attached to them, meaning that they are true one-offs, is a victory for cinema. Side note, you are the man of the greatest sequel in the world, Francis, but okay. (laughs) And I get it. Can I just not, not to take like that's I just want I just want to make sure we give that statement all of its credit and thanks and that's wonderful marketing and promotion but like Barbie has been a name and marketable franchise for like how many years now 70 years or something like that so like it's not like some out of the blue thing and Oppenheimer is about the story of what again dropping the what the atomic bomb like yeah they're both they're both derivative what was that like it's well yeah like i mean it's just that like they may not be major franchises but it's not like they're no name properties either or anything like that i guess is my only point so another quote in this article that made me happy he says my hunch is that we're on the verge of a golden age in cinema. He's talking about oh, wonderful. Shit. Yeah, because he's like, get ready to see my movie. <laughs> wonderful and illuminating cinema seen in large theaters. So that will culminate in the screening of my movie, the greatest movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> I sure hope so. Some other stuff, Mike. I wanted to get out of the way. Yeah, I've got a couple things too. Well, first, need to just acknowledge our new logo. We dropped it. It was yes. awesome. I mean, I loved it. You loved it. The people loved it out there. I can't tell you how many compliments I got on it. So let's once again thank Jason Rainey and apologize to him because we were we kept saying across the <laughs> pond and he's really across the time zones, across the Rocky Mountains in Oregon, which we should know. His last name is Rainey, Pacific Northwest. That's no, how I remember well- it. <laughs> Brian, it's it's you know one 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 Earth like he his last name I don't I can't derive where you live from your last name. These <laughs> days, joking. You know? Like I know, dude. Oh, I'm I'm dead serious, bro. <laughs> I don't no. know. But here's how that here's how that happened, and he also kind of figured it out on uh, Twitter before I, I really fully had a chance to explain. But like we were exchanging ideas about the logo. Uh, and get, would get information and text and stuff sort of like in the middle of the night, like one in the morning, two thirty in the morning, things like that. And I distinctly remember you telling me to consider the time zone change and that he's not from America, that he's from, you know, that he's that he's in in London. I don't know where, but like you're like, he's from London. <laughs> I didn't. I definitely did not say he was from London. Not like London, but you said consider the time zone I did. because he's from he's from 
England. So I did do that. I did. No, no, I didn't say he's from England. I didn't say any of that. I, I, okay, I well, you back implied, heavily implied. No, 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 no. You are right, though, that I did say that because I knew he was on a different time zone. And he told me that he works different hours, right? So then I think that just from the both of us got extrapolated to like some magical journey that he lives in, <laughs> that he lives in England or something. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's, oh, that's where we got it from. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I asked him if he wanted us to keep that in as part of his lore or whatever from the podcast as a character or something. Uh, but you know, this is better because now if he, you know, if we can sort of aim clients his way, they know, you know, he's actually where he actually is located. You know, that might work better. Yeah. And it's not like we gave out his address or anything. So don't stalk him, you know. No, I don't mean that by any means. But just like if there was any kind of, you know way of dealing i don't know <laughs> freelance wise like freelance and stuff but speaking of jason rainey blew our minds today I yes again the, us... i had both of these on my list brian you're reading my mind oh ap apologies but wow mike what a find that i guess you know he didn't find it himself but he saw it on twitter uh since you had it on your list you want to describe what he sent us today yeah it is the Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula uh, DVD, right? It was a DVD in there. It's a DVD box set, but the box is a coffin. And it's like a really, you know, it's like much bigger than just the DVD case itself. Like it is a big, it's like a, it's more than just like a shelf piece. It's like, you got to put it on the floor. <laughs> you got to put it on the floor next to the fireplace or something. It's like a Halloween prop, you know? It's like a spirit Halloween decoration. It's weird. I was trying to see if it was custom because if you look at the side of it, first of all, it's definitely like a European or, or some foreign mark because it has the rating is 18 with like a red circle and that's obviously not an American yeah. rating. Um, there's that aspect of it, but the side, it's weird. The side says VHS, but there's clearly a DVD in there. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, is that a VHS? Actually, no. I mean, that. now that I look at it, Brian, I think it is a VHS. Oh, it really? is. It's a thick, that's a thick red box there. Yeah. Is this a video nasty? See, this is another reason I thought that Brian was <laughs> that jason was british because he sent us this and it has the british no i'm joking that <laughs> that is a uh, vhs box set wow yeah so i'm googling it now it was actually a vhs box like this is something that existed presumably at some point because there's a lot of pictures on google of this we'll put this on our social media but it is cool it is again a casket with a VHS inside. Wow, they have one on on Amazon. I mean, on uh, on eBay. You can get it right now. It's a little beat up, but it's Bram Stoker's Dracula VHS coffin box book and tape. So it comes with a copy of Bram Stoker's Dracula the the, the book also. This What's one the comes price? from Australia. What's the price? Uh, uh let's see, thirty eight eighty nine American. That's not bad. Oh no, is that just the shipping? <laughs> Sorry, sixty sixty twenty five. Still not bad. I thought this was gonna be like three. But you got but it's coming from Australia, so you gotta pay forty dollars shipping on that. Oh, wait, sucker. maybe we could send it to Shawnee and 
and she could uh, give us a care package of that <laughs> and some. What's the coffee name? I forgot. Oh, Victoria. Victoria, Victoria yeah. Coffee. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I know. So I know if you're listening, you're sending me the Victoria or not. <laughs> well, Mike, I, we're teasing it. Let's do it. We got to open the merch stand. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Come walk this way. Take a look. We put the picture's name on everything. Merchandising, merchandising, where the real money from the movie is made. Mike's Merch Corner of the episode, Mike's Merch Corner of the week. What do you have for me today, Mike? I am copying now. I am going to paste it in the messaging in just a moment. that. Okay, here we go. Copying, pasting, and sending. Let's see, did it send, right? Okay, so Brian, this is to accompany what I see behind you, your patent 12-inch record. This is a patent Super 8 selected scene color sound reel. This is like a little Super 8, so uh, they used to, I have one of these for some movies, but like they used to make these all the time back in the day where they would just cut like a couple minutes of a movie on the 16 millimeter or Super 8, and they would sell them in toy stores, drugstores, bookstores, things like that. This is from the Cinema 8 catalog department. Yeah, so basically you're going to get some selected scenes from the movie Patton here. Wow, I didn't know this existed. So, like, people, you know, it was very expensive to get a full film reel of home media at the time, right? And people yeah. would just get these little things right here. Like, you know, how many minutes are we talking about here? Um, let me see. It's hard to hold on a second. Now I'm on the spot. <laughs> no, I mean, if you don't ask me. Oh, it says seven and a half minutes. I'm reading the, I'm reading the thing now. Okay. So it's seven and a half minutes of patent <laughs> of a three hour film. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and they would they they did this with like everything back in the day from like no joke from Star Wars and to Godzilla stuff, you know. Um I think Ken Films was like a popular company that did it, but they also have like, you know, Voyage of Sinbad, like I, this was they everything was sort of given this treatment before VHS, right? Like people at home when they were making home movies, they had like a Super 8 camera or, or 16 millimeter camera or something. So they would have a projector and they would have a screen at home. And so you could go to like the drugstore and develop your film and also pick up, you know, seven minutes of The Mummy with Boris Karloff <laughs> with all the best parts cut out or something. Or, <laughs> or like a, a Godzilla film or, or another like strange, or like some cartoons or like I see the Planet of the Apes ones all the time. I have one of the uh, old sci-fi classic, um, The Spider. So these, these are kind of cool. These also remind me a little bit of those old um, like read-along records that would come with like a book, a record in a book. Yeah, yeah, those are cool. You have some of those, right? Yeah, so I don't have like many of these or anything, but uh, there's a lot out there for sure. Yeah, so I think the, one of the most famous ones is uh, Ken Films, Home Entertainment, made most of them, but this one wasn't made by him, by their company. But uh, yeah, they had a bunch of different... So like Ken Films did American International, United Artists, Warner Brothers, Paramount, Terry Tunes, 
you know, comedies, cartoons, horror movies, sports reels, like all kinds of things. So they're really cool if you get your hands on any of these. And I saw that there was one for Patton and I was like, Patton is such a long movie <laughs> that you imagine being like, you want to come over and watch Patton? Like it's eight minutes. It'll take no time. It's only a real long, like, you know, 10 minutes max. That's insane. This is awesome. Great find. Mine is less great, to be honest with you. It is pretty run-of-the-mill, but I was looking at it, and I was thinking of actually getting it on audiobook if it was available. It's one of the source materials today. So, Mike, I just sent it to you. A General's Life, an autobiography. Yes, this is actually Omar Bradley's book. Oh. I wanted to bring it up. It's his, own, it's his autobiography because... One of the, I don't want to say criticisms of the film, but one of the points a lot of people made of Patton was that it shines Bradley in such a positive light. And not that he was a bad general or anything like that. By all accounts, great general. That's everything I've read, right? But it's definitely, we're not watching it, and I think I mentioned this last time, as like a Patton autobiography. It's really Patton through the eyes of Omar Bradley. So... He's at the beginning. He's at the end. You know what I mean? Like, it's very interesting. And I, I actually think it's effective, right? I like this character of Bradley. Again, another legendary general. I like that we see uh, essentially Patton take him under his wing and then the roles reverse in the same war, like, of who's working for who. This is an interesting movie. That, and, and, you know, we'll get into it further. This is uh, more of a modern movie than I ever thought and like the Bradley character to me is so interesting because it's like Bradley again was known as quiet did his job effective and Patton is almost the opposite and we see where one lands and we see where the other one lands and it's one of the most fascinating parts of the film yeah it is pretty interesting their dynamic throughout the whole thing and how the first half he's almost like uh, depicted like as a, I don't want to say buffoonish, but definitely like can't catch up. And then in the second half, he's like so far ahead and like Patton is in the dark about so much of what has been going on. But I would never say that he like surpasses Patton. You know, it's almost like here's the bar and Bradley's there and Patton's always on top. And then Bradley you know, their roles reverse because of his demotion, okay? But he's never a better general than Patton to the point where at the end, he's just like, just do whatever you're doing. Just keep doing what you're doing, you know? You want to roll into Berlin on your own? Like, fine, it's working. Like, do it, okay? Uh, and then I'll just take credit for it. Um, but yeah, it's funny how I don't ever feel like he necessarily gets any better at his job. He just gets, like, put into a higher position. It's not that he's bad at his job either, you know? They're just very different tactically. And Patton is still, like, thinking, like, it's three, four hundred years ago or even a thousand years ago when it comes to war and stuff. So, like, it feels like it's a clash of, like, the past and the modern warfare kind of shit coming between the two of them to a degree. For sure. And, like, and we'll get into it, but just in case we don't, and the wine starts talking. Um, I, I think that's perfectly encapsulated by the conversation of like, oh, we'll need to be diplomats now. And, and Patton's essentially mm -hmm. like, yeah, kill me if that happens. And Bradley's been a <laughs> diplomat the entire time. Look, he's a great general. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But he's he's quiet. He's followed his orders. And he's done his thing. And, you know, if anyone knows their history, he's 
way surpasses Patton in terms of titles and, and, and a job, right? And prestige. But Patton, I think, is more of the legend today, right, than Bradley. Oh, yeah. And it's because he didn't necessarily follow the rules or act like he should have or, or, you know, took his time. You know, like we see that in the first half where he just, like, he gets his new stars and he puts them on before anyone signs for him. And he's like, it doesn't matter. Like, they're going to sign for him anyway, eventually. And he just, like, wears his new stars and shit. It's funny that he never knew how to really play the politics of war in that way where he doesn't have the patience and she's like, I should be out killing Nazis, not like having tea with this guy or like talking to that guy or like apologizing for this or that. You know, he's like, there's shit to be done. And they're like, no, like this is stuff that has to be done, too. You know, you have to have time for it. And that's where Bradley comes in. And he's like way more with the patience and the understanding of like how to dance, how to do the dance. You know, like Pan's just a bull in a china shop. Ego, ego, ego. A little tease of what we're going to talk about later, but we got we got some more segments, Mike. Or should I say, oh, right? Yes. Should I say, Mike Capella? <laughs> Brian, I, and before, uh, should I be on the subway with your little encounter? Do you want to share that? Oh first? my I feel goodness! Like this is a good this is a good segue to that before I start singing. I totally forgot about interlude. that. So I uh, I arrived in Grand Central Station today. I was listening. No, I actually was rewatching Patton, uh, literally on my thing. <laughs> and I thought I heard the Godfather theme, but I'm like, that must be in my head, right? Because I'm thinking Coppola, you know, music's always running through my head. And then, like, I arrive at the escalator, and this wonderful woman is playing the Godfather theme on a violin so beautifully, a great acoustics in Grand Central Station. I, I sent you a quick clip. I was, like, you know, moving, so it wasn't, like, a good one. I'm probably not going to repost that one, but amazing it made my day so i'm having a good day already thank you mike for reminding me that oh yeah because that cheered me up too like that that's so just perfect you know you're walking through new york city on your way to work in the morning and you just hear that in your head and my favorite part is now that you were watching re-watching Patton on your iphone <laughs> <laughs> this super scope movie uh and then that like yeah you think you you're you're like just hearing things because you're so like consumed with coppola stuff but like it actually happened to be there and, so where, and where were we in the movie? Sicily, but we'll get into it. But Mike Appella. Uh, brother. Mike Appella, bring us to The Godfather. Where is it? Where in the world is The Godfather streaming? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Haven't heard that in a while. Mike, this is weird. It is back on Paramount+. Plus. Oh, I don't know. Gosh. I so don't know. Now you, now you can watch uh, The Offer and The Godfather and go nuts. Just go nuts consume robert evans got a shout out in the barbie movie which is amazing that is that's very um like no one knows that name no one knows robert <laughs> like that like to throw that out there is very deep cut like even to godfather people uh to st- even because movie people don't start talking about like even producers uh, <laughs> well, you know, we do I, we do that's why we no, were, i know we were... cinephiles i guess but like <laughs> your average you know, Jack and Jill don't really get that deep, I would imagine, you know. Um, so I wonder now about that Barbie movie, how, how deep she goes with other things, too. Oh, so Very intrigued. Deep. So many deep cuts in the film. You, you got to see it. So, uh, I mean, we, give, give me a little news thing because we got a lot of news to talk about. Megalopolis news. Megalopolis news. Mike, this right. just dropped to day 
Ooh. Apparently. That's new news. New news. Apparently. Francis Ford Coppola let Spike Lee see 30 minutes of Megalopolis. And wow. Spike Lee was blown away. Wow. The uh, official headline, Spike Lee watches 30 minutes of Megalopolis, quits filmmaking. <laughs> like, <laughs> you got to see. I'm going to send it in our chat. You got to see the photo of it because it's like it's Francis. It's Uncle Francis with Spike Lee. And they're just like such different sizes. Oh, oh, it's, it's fun. I saw the photo. I think Charlie posted the photo, but I just like flipped. Yeah, that's the photo. But I didn't read. I didn't have time to read. I mean, I had time to read the, the caption. I just, just flipped right by it. Uh, but like that is a wonderful photo. Man, it would be so cool if he lets him like direct the scene. Like, you know, I got reshoots coming up. Why don't you come on down and direct the scene? And then at the end, I could say like, and one scene directed by Spike Lee. Hey, New York Stories Part 2. We said Spike Lee would be a good candidate for that. but Perfect. Perfect. Spike Lee said, screen 30 minutes of his new opus, Megalopolis, for me. OMG. Amazing. So. <laughs> I just love how Spike Lee has adopted the modern vernacular of abbreviations. <laughs> At least he's not saying bussin', because I still kind of don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. More Coppola news. A lot of more Coppola news. Joey Lewandowski, the Godfather, shared this with us, but other people have shared this with me as well. They really want us to talk about this Francis Ford Coppola, Nicolas Cage thing, like Nicolas Cage talking about his favorite Coppola movie. By the way, this is pulled from something from 2022. I think we might have shared it on the podcast. Spoiler alert! Nicolas Cage loves Apocalypse Now. We do too. That's his favorite Coppola. <laughs> That's not a. Sp- I thought you were going to say spoiler. Spoiler. We may have already said this or something, but you know, I, that I wonder if it's still his favorite Uncle Francis movie. But it's it's interesting that he's like, yeah, I like it way more than the one I'm in. What was also good is like he was there the first time it was screened with like all these celebrities in the house too, you know? So like that must have been an overwhelming experience. Very true. Very true. Okay, so this this broke I think last week. Um we lost we're gonna have to cheers, Mike. I know you don't have wine, I do. We lost uh one of the great directors recently. Oh, I think yeah. it was August sixth or August seventh. Do you know who I'm talking about? I certainly do. Paul Rubens. Oh, Paul Rubens, yes, but that's not what I was talking about. Oh, I know, I know, oh. I know. I just had to get that. We had to. R.I.P. Paul Rubens. Cheers, Paul, somehow. Yeah, salute to Paul Rubens. Uh, Friedkin. William Friedkin, yeah. Uh, what did he do? The Exorcist? I, I know he did that. I'm, I'm sorry. That's all you need to know. No, yeah. Uh, uh, French Connection. That was the other one. French Connection. Was he To Live and Die in L.A.? That movie's amazing. Well,. Francis Ford Coppola actually shouted him out after he passed, so RIP him, but he said, William Friedkin was my first friend among filmmakers of my generation, and I grieve for the loss of a much-loved companion. His accomplishments in cinema are extraordinary and unique. He is the only colleague I knew whose work actually saved a man's life, and he cites The People versus Paul Crump. Oh. I'd never seen that one. Billy's work represents true milestones in cinema, a list which will never be forgotten. Certainly The French Connection, The Exorcist, and Sorcerer, but all his films are alive with his genius. Pick any of them out of a hat and you'll be dazzled. His lovable, irascible personality 
was cover for beautiful, brilliant, deep-feeling giant of a man. It's very hard to grasp that I will never enjoy his company again, but his work will at least stand for him. And yes, we know the hits, Mike, but let's be honest, Francis Coppola, what an endorsement there. R.I.P. And I, I need to see more of his movies now. It's funny because I just watched Sorcerer for the first time, uh, like maybe a week or two before he passed, you know, mostly for Roy Schreider, but but also because <laughs> I'd always heard that was like an incredible movie. And it is, it is. It's like, you know, uh, I don't know how they made that. Like, technically, it's just incredible. It's a, Now I want to go back and watch. It's a, sort of a remake of Wages of Fear from the 50s. But like, I can't imagine what that movie's like if this is what this movie's like. Like, this one's intense. And so like, yeah, he was a master. Definitely a master. Yeah, you know, we raise our glass to him. Uh, last piece of yes. news I have, and I think it's relevant today, you know, while we've been on our brief hiatus, there's been a lot of talk of TCM, Turner Classic Movies, and the struggle they've had. Oh, um, yeah. The whole Warner thing is out of whack right now. You know, Warner Discovery, since they've merged with the HBO thing and all that, and... and the discovery part they've been cutting a lot of things and people are very afraid for turner classic movies so i know and again it's not a done deal but i know uh steven spielberg martin scorsese and pt anderson are really trying to save it they're going to take an active role in it um and so many people online have you know come to bat for tmc and i couldn't agree more like it's one of the last places yeah. to find these kind of movies like Patton. And Patton's probably the biggest example, but The Rain People was on TMC recently, I, I saw. I, I believe so. And I don't know. There's a feeling, right, like channels like this need to be saved. Like capitalism is oh, yeah. great and all, but like this is almost like an American institution, right? Like we like we need to preserve these movies like we preserve books. I don't know. That's mm-hmm. how I feel. No, oh, no, by all means, absolutely. And, you know, I feel like those filmmakers and others feel exactly the same way, you know, and uh, I feel like that, is, like, Criterion's picking up a lot of the slack as far as the physical media goes, but as far as, like, the broadcast stuff and getting it to, like, local and basic cable kind of things, like, Turner Classics, like, never did me any wrong growing up. Like, that was part of my film school, even before I knew I was taking film school. Like, I was watching that channel. I was watching movies for the first time like clockwork orange or or taxi driver you know or probably the conversation you know so it really opened up my worldview to cinema beyond just fun blockbusters and comedies and stuff that i was watching at the time and and growing up on like it was getting me into more serious film and you know i was just watching it yesterday i found a fun movie with vincent price called the story of mankind where they go through the history of the world and uh dennis hopper himself plays napoleon in it you know so found a francis connection right there that day so very worth and I try, and I was like, oh, I want to watch this movie again sometime. Where is it streaming? Guess what? Not streaming anywhere. It's up on YouTube right now for free, but who knows how long that's going to last? You know, it might be on like Vivo with a subscription or something. But that's another thing that that the network does is that, like it has these these great movies that you may not see anywhere else. A hundred percent, Mike. Like, I don't know what we use our all our tax dollars for. But for me, like, if there's an allocation for the arts, 
let's keep these movies alive. Let's keep people watching them because we don't get the movies of today without them. We're about to get a huge Napoleon epic. Yeah. And, and oh, remember, yeah. uh, the first person to really try to do that was our boy Stanley Kubrick, right? Like that script's been online and that's an awesome script to read. So I, you know, I can't wait for that film. Obviously that's going to be different. Um, and you know, Kyle, oh, man. Kyle recently brought to us because he's trying to find a Coppola connection. And there, who knows? There might be, but uh, Bradley Cooper's like Len- Leonard Bernstein movie, that's coming out soon too. And like, think about how many TCM movies that he was a part of as a composer, right? Like, that stuff still lives on today, and we can't lose that, right? Like, we can't have the oldest film that people are watching. I don't know, like <laughs> Jurassic Park or something, you know? Yeah, well, it's funny too because. Uh... Ben Mankiewicz, who is a host on Turner Classic Movie, is like the great-grandson of Manx, you know, one of the greatest screenwriters of all time, they say, in old Hollywood, right? Like, uh, didn't he – he wrote for Orson Welles. Didn't he – he wrote, like, Citizen Kane or Herman Mankiewicz. So, like, he was one of the screenwriters of Citizen Kane, but, like, uh, there's a movie about him with uh, Breaking Bad. What's his name? Um Brian Cranston. So, uh, like, there's just, you know, film history resides on that network itself, you know, to this day and stuff. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, obviously with a podcast like this, we're rooting for it to survive. And I, I think it will. Too many people care about it to not survive. At least I hope, right? Here, here. So, last thing before we talk about the last two hours of Patton is the last days of Patton, which is the sequel to Patton. Yes, it existed. Oh. 1986, George C. Scott, it was a made-for-television no. film. No, he came back? He reprised the role. I gotta watch this. Look, no Coppola involvement. We won't cover it here. Uh, yes, we will. <laughs> Maybe. We have to. This is, this is linked. Brian, I never knew about this. Like, Fine. this deserves... This is something to mean to crack you up so bad, but like, this has to be taught. Eva Marie Saint. Yeah. What is with this cast? You know, I like me some Eva Marie Saint, but uh, this is a made-for-TV film from 1986. Apparently, it picks up right where this film leaves off, um, and it is like the last one or two weeks of Patton's life. Um, we don't get it in this film, but mm. Pat- Patton died in a car accident. It's very much alluded to in this film, but we don't exactly, yes. exactly get it. And again, we'll we'll get there. But I, I, all right, I need to go there really quickly, okay? Because I wondered if this, if he at the end of this, if Coppola or the director, if they at the end of this, if was this pulling like uh, like a Tarantino, like an alternate history, like he didn't get in that. What if he didn't get into that car crash and walked off with his dog into the future? What if Patton lived? <laughs> and then so like Patton two would have been you know him during the Cold War. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he Dr. actually. Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> he actually like goes with his plan and attacks the Russians and <laughs> whatever. That'd be insane. The Ruskies. Look at the big board and like all that stuff. Yeah, it's about, but this is about at what Patton does afterwards, right? Like he was relieved of his command, but like if anyone knows like military, they don't just send you home, right? They give you essentially a desk job. And he was in Europe sort of without a command and, and reassigned as like, like a clerk, um, and I think it says here he was tasked to write an, an official history of World War II, and you know huh. he gets he gets into 
a uh, automobile accident. And like again, I don't want to spoil the movie because you do want to cover it here. Wait, you don't want to spoil what? That he dies? No, it's, <laughs> there's an interesting story here. Apparently, while he's paralyzed, he has like the movie is about flashbacks. He has to i believe himself in uh, different american wars i know it sounds silly um, no that's dope I, I that now we're talking my language right now okay so <clears throat> it's basically like the rocket raccoon thread from guardians 3 where like he goes into a coma yeah. and lapses into like his history of himself except Patton's history is reliving his past lives in different wars throughout his like that's fresh i as I would like to see George C. Scott like in Roman gear fighting an old war and all that uh, kind of shit. I don't think it goes there, but that is an awesome idea, by the way. <laughs> That's my patent, too. Like, I should start that right in the real patent, too. I think it's just like maybe it's story. It's the stories of his grandfather in the Civil War, stuff like that. So I think we go back forward, you know what I mean? So it is interesting, and you know maybe we'll cover it one day. Um, an interesting choice here, and I wanted to ask you about this from the jump. A lot of real-life characters depicted here, a lot of them, right? But someone we don't see who's talked about in almost every scene is Ike, right? Dwight Eisenhower. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. in the last days of Patton, he's actually cast, which is interesting, right? But here, he's almost a mythical figure, beyond reproach. No one says anything bad about him. Even as, as Eisenhower punishes Patton, he won't say anything bad about him, right? Like, he says he's a good man at certain times, right? So what do you think of this, um, the concept here? Because, again, we know Coppola wrote this film. That's why we're covering it. If I didn't say that at the jump, I apologize. But we know Coppola wrote the film. So I believe this is something from his screenplay. What do you think of the fact that they never cast or depict in Eisenhower? He's walking out of Eisenhower's office. He's getting commands from mm -hmm. him. Like, yeah, what was your opinion on that? I actually, you know, it, it slowly dawned on me that we're not going to see him. We're never going to hear him. We're only going to get... Uh, like orders, relays, things like that. We just missed him. He was on the phone. He's over there. He's behind the door, this kind of stuff. I like it. Okay, so like I'm not sure if this was its intended purpose, but here's here's what it did for me. Like it created this like omnipresent version of Ike that almost felt very like Orwellian or like Big Brother-esque where it's like, Ike is there. Like, take our word for it. He exists. These orders come from him. You just got to take our word for it. Like, he's on the phone. Like, you know, I'm telling you, like, just believe us. But, like, no one's ever seen Ike or no one's ever really talked to Ike. And, like, who knows where the orders are coming from because they're being handed down and then rehanded and handed down again. So, like, I kind of like the vibe of, like, just tell him it's from Ike. You know, like tell him Ike said this just to get him to do it almost at one point, you know, and that's how it kind of feels at some point where they're like, we need to use you as a decoy. Ike really thinks this is the best use for you, uh, you know, and he's like, well, damn it. You know, if I had to go ahead for Mike, I'd do whatever he said, you know, so like if he wants it, fine, you know, so it's very interesting how they use Ike. I think, I don't know, if, again, if this was his intent, but like watching it with these eyes, modern eyes and very kind of like uh, paranoid eyes, if you will, from um, like just in the times we live in, it, it felt more of like this, this overseer kind of thing where it's just like, 
so embedded, at least in Patton's mind, that he's the guy in charge. He's the boss. You just do what he says, whatever it is. Like, you know, if he says, shoot this coward in front of a firing squad or apologize to his entire unit, you do it. It felt like it was used at times to control him in a way. But again, I, I don't know. I, that, that was just those are just some some random thoughts about it. Just yeah, no, I agree with that. And to speak to like World War II history, uh, Eisenhower was famously appointed supreme commander over many, many, many people who were, in theory, more qualified, right? Like who ranked higher than him. But it, it was for a reason, right? And it, we kind of see that reason here. Even a man like Patton could respect the sort of wisdom and even killed nature and the understanding of politics that he did not, that Patton did not have. Like mm-hmm. you, you're right. Like he could respect Eisenhower and whether those orders were actually coming from Eisenhower or not, it didn't matter if it had the Ike stamp of approval. It was like, okay, yeah. hands off. Yeah. He's like, that's the one guy who knows more, like who I think knows more than I do almost. Right. Like he's the, he's like, there's the one guy who will concede like, all right, well he's Ike. So he knows best. I wondered too, like, um, you know, when this movie came out, let me backtrack to my high school experience. Ooh, high school slumber party cut. But I remember, I used to get into arguments with a lot of my teachers in the social studies field. I actually won, like, I love social studies. I love history. I, I won the social studies award at my high school because I took almost every social studies class, uh, every history class, right? And I remember my, like, U.S. History two class, a real... And I'm not dissing this, by the way. We probably have a lot of similar political opinions, him and I. But the teacher at the time was very much, well, I'll say like, you know, he clearly was on one side of the aisle. And he made this incredibly bold statement that if you are a general, you cannot make a good president. And I was like, wait a second, George Washington was a general. And he was like, oh, but he just wasn't necessarily a good president. And I said Eisenhower. By, like, all accounts, Eisenhower was a pretty good president, right? But he was a polarizing president because he was a Republican. Richard Nixon was his vice president, right? And he went from this untouchable hero of the war to someone who was a member of a political party. And naturally, if you're a member of a political party and you run for political office, you're going to have at least 40% of the country against you probably more right that's just going to happen so when this film comes out we're in vietnam what year was it exactly 1970 when this year when this film came out yeah so you have the return of nixon at least on the horizon right what year i forgot what year uh he becomes president um 69 because it was 68 election so nixon had been elected again an Eisenhower man, right? The Nick, the Nixons and the Eisenhowers are intrinsically intrinsically linked. Their children or grandchildren married each other, right? I even think something we're not viewing with our eyes, but at the time to depict mm. Eisenhower as a person there would have made him less omnipresent because the people living in that day in 1970, there was a portion of the population who'd seen him as a president, who'd seen the links to Nixon, and weren't going to mm-hmm. feel the way they needed to feel about him at the time, right? I think it works for right. us, not having any ties to Eisenhower, unless I'm wrong about <laughs> you, Mike, right? I think it works for us that he can see an omnipresent, but I think people in 1970 would have had a harder time seeing that if the character was depicted, so it was effective for them as well. 
Yeah, that would that would kind of be like you know, if there was a war going on while Trump was president, you wouldn't want it to pick him on screen. You know, <laughs> like yeah, I also see the idea of like who who could play that and portray that with with the empathy you need in the time that the film's being made. I, I got I got a better comp for you, and it's another general, right? Like uh, if there was a movie about the Iraq War, Storm and Norman. I mean, Norman Schwarzkopf. <laughs> but, like, I'm Colin Powell, right? Like, if there's a movie about yeah. De- Desert Storm, Colin Powell is a hero. And, again, I'm not anti-Colin Powell. I'm not on this podcast to talk politics. But then he serves in the Bush administration, and there's obviously a lot of people out there who are anti-Bush administration. And that could be, like, now Colin Powell, to a lot of people, might be like, oh, this is a guy who, you know, like, you, yeah. you, you know what I'm the saying. Last one's, the last one's the one you remember. Like, that's because what even happened to, to Ike was like, he got diminished to a catchphrase, you know, he became I like Ike and shit. And so, like, it just was like, oh, it's just just like him because he's Ike. And, so, <laughs> you know, it's almost like a like that campaign was a form of brainwashing and like. You know, getting it to like kids just repeat that shit to their parents all day and get it stuck in their head. And it's like, that was just great, great marketing and stuff. So, like, I don't even think it came down a lot of the time to like his, the merits of his achievements. It's just like how good a campaign he was able to run like that. But I don't know. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a politic guy at all. So I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> So let's start talking about the film. We, I said it was the last two hours, but we really started um, at 54 minutes after that big battle um, where we get a newsreel. And basically, it's Monty, Montgomery, and Patton routing the Germans in Africa. They've turned the tide, and every, everything's going smoothly. The first scene that I like, to, or like first, I guess, moment that I like to talk about is the Germans... How obsessed they become with Patton, oh, and dude, <laughs> what do you think it's of this? Amazing, dude. It's so it's like I just want to watch all those scenes back to back to back because the one guy becomes like a Patton enthusiast, you know, and uh, it's just really, it's really like okay. So I recently watched Rollerball, the original one with <laughs> nice. Jimmy Tan for the first time, and. Their set looks like it's straight out of that movie. Like it's this weird '70s sci-fi bunker, and I love how they have like the actual movie theater at one end and everything. But these guys are like just hilarious. I, I mean, like who could have known what they were thinking? I just love the way they're depicted here too, because I think it adds like a sense of—I don't want to say threat necessarily, but like there's a contrast here that I appreciate because you have the, the sort of jovial comedy of what's going on with Patton sometimes. Like he's just standing in the middle of the field while there's bombs going off and he's like, Hey, you over there, you know? Uh, and then you have like these bumbling Nazis in a bunker and they're trying to be serious, but they're just like this guy, Patton, he's a, like, he once did this. Like, did you read his book? Like, listen to this story. And the one guy's like, what am I supposed to learn from that? And it's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> he, he's a legend he's a myth like he's a real guy it's funny because they're not wrong about him but what they're wrong about is that the american troops the american sorry not the troops the american like high command and the allied high command doesn't buy into his bullshit 
the the Nazis do, and we even end up learning that learning that Hitler does right. Like even Hitler believes in Patton's bullshit, but they kind of know what's going because they're like he's going to attack Sicily. He wants to attack Sicily because that's what the Athenians did. And uh, what's funny is they're not wrong. Um, I love though love because we're starting to see the cracks in the fact that Patton he's very competent, but his biggest uh, obstacle in his life is going to be his own ego, his own, you know, sense of self, sense that he's right, sense of place in this world. You know, in the mo- in the modern war, it's probably better to be a Bradley to sort of follow orders and do your thing. But I love when Rama leaves because they're losing essentially, and it's, it's something along the lines of like, oh, that's Hitler's favorite general, and he doesn't want him to get embarrassed in Africa. And the quote, I wrote down the exact quote that Patton says. I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. I hope you really said this. It goes, well, I'm my favorite general, and I don't want to be told that some second stringer is up against me. Then I effing lose face or something like along those lines, right? I don't think he said the F word, but that's like he had the F word mm-hmm. like gust to it, right? Like, oh, because the quote is, he, Hitler doesn't want his favorite general to lose face. And he says, I'm my favorite general. And then perfectly like, encompasses everything there um it's it's so cool but it's also again i don't know if i would like a guy like pat to be honest with you that's the thing is like he he's like kind of a terrible person but he's a great character you know he's like pretty complex but i could see why they why they being the nazis like buy into him because that's what they were all about, right? Like they they idolized everything they liked. They didn't just like something; they fucking loved whatever it was. So like they put him up on a pedestal, and they basically said like we can't beat him, right? <laughs> in in a manner of speaking, they're like wherever he is, like we're kind of gonna be fucked. Uh, and then at the end, when like the bunker's collapsing, they're like he's here. <laughs> like, he's he's basically that's him. He's knocking on our door right now, and he's like holding the picture of Patton, and he's like ah. Hey, Patton, <laughs> like, yeah. uh, we finally meet in our death or whatever. I will not go on record as saying like this was like a good guy necessarily, but he was fucking good at his job. If he he just like the whole thing of him thinking he's from another time, it's like fucking true. Like he he can't really adapt to modernity, so like his method of war is ancient and like he can't see like how to fight a new war with new tactics and it's a new way you know we live in a new world you know let's do things in a new way and he's just like no damn it like i know how to do things this and that so it's fascinating on that how he he's kind of this you know walking around in contrast to everything around him like he is a relic but he's a relic today like he feels like a relic walking around today in a lot of ways this is a such a topical movie today or it should be right for a couple reasons like cancel culture is a big thing people talk about oh dude he got he was the first dude to get canceled (laughs) (laughs) and and i will argue that that he winds up being pretty woke by the end like you know like he can see even though if he doesn't if he's he's not going to be like look i can see who i am and i can't change but i can at least realize that i should change even though i know i can't change it's like that kind of ending. Which is a little better, but I think that's what makes this movie so much more modern than, like, again, a John Wayne flick, right? Oh, way better. This is like John Wayne kind of getting 
told off and being like, you know what, you might be right. Even if like, it still pisses me off and I think I'm right. Like I could at least see where you're coming from. Even if I don't agree with it. And John Wayne would just shoot the guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's why again, like this movie is more modern than I could ever have imagined because of that. Right. I love film. God, God, this is such a Ken Barbie moment, but I love film for this reason. It reminds me that the times we're living in and the challenges we have today are not new. I I hate when someone says to me, oh, these are the worst times to ever live in. Everyone's always thought they're in the worst times to ever live in. That's like the timeless quality of just humanity, right? And like, I guarantee most people think cancel culture was something that, again, I'm not... I'm not saying a pro or anti, by the way, this isn't a political podcast, but, you know, most people would say, like, someone getting canceled was a modern invention, and we see here that is clearly not the case at all, at all. Whether you like Patton's methods or not, whether you believe in canceling or not, it is clear that that's what happens here. And I'm not disagreeing, by the way. I'll, I'll go on the record and say this. He probably should have gotten reprimanded, maybe even more than he did at certain points. But at the time, it's important for like people watching the movie to realize, like, yeah, th- you still w- were reprimanded for these things. These still things were still not cool, right? And I get what you're saying. He is a victim of his era, like, and also like he's a victim of the country he fights for. If he fought for some dictatorship, he might be the dictator, right? He might just march those troops in and. and take over the country right but it's not going to happen in the american army it's not going to happen in in world war ii at least at this stage right so he's in a he's in a weird a weird place and he he feels awkward believe it or not throughout the film because he feels like he's chosen for this special moment but it's just not happening for him and for them to make a movie about a character like that oh sorry i know i'm ranting but i just think no no to it yeah, it, it, it'd be it'd be finding out you're not the Quizak Hatterack after all, you know, like, <laughs> like you're, you, you think you're the Messiah and you're just, you're just, you know, George or some shit, like, man, it's so cool because like, now I watch this movie through two or three lenses, like today, the 70s and the 40s, he didn't get canceled in the, in the 2000s or the 70s, he, he got this shit reprimanded in the 40s. Okay, and like, I'm sure people in the 70s saw this and were like, what did he he do wrong? You know, he he just told this guy to suck it up and get back out there and shit. And and like, even some people from today will see that. But there's also people in the 70s that are now thinking in a new light that are saying like, no, like, people are coming back from Vietnam and people came back from World War II fucked up, like severe, like, problems emotionally, you know, and like, we need to recognize that that this is a real thing and that you can't just like tell somebody call someone a chicken and send him back out to get shot as like i was thinking like i'm glad he's on our side because of what you just said like he would have followed if he was born in germany he would have followed every order hitler said to a t maybe taken over from hitler you know what i mean maybe right like yeah i'm Three times the size of that guy. I'll go <laughs> knock him, you know, I'll take him out. Yeah. Like, so that is, that's where the issue comes in of him being sort of this man at a time. Like, that's the problem with, with that in a lot of ways is that like, you know, he thinks that he can act like that. Like he can just, he can just 
the rules don't apply to him because of his position, because of his ego, because of his amount of power and, and because of what he feels is righteous, not of what like we agreed on as a society, which is what we're fucking fighting for here. Right. So I think that's why it sank in really hard. That's the whole pivot of the entire movie is like the before that and the after that and the man and the man that he sort of become. And what's so interesting is that like, it's sort of late. Well, I guess it's a three hour movie, so it's not that late, but, but like for all intent and purpose, it's kind of late in the movie. He's so well established as this certain person that when it happens, he goes into like an existential crisis for, for like the next hour, which, which we'll get to the slap, but it's so humanizing. I didn't know that this film was going to go this way. I thought like the slap was going to come very towards the end. I thought we we're going to get glory, glory, glory. Oh, ego was his downfall. Mike, I love, love that the majority of this movie is about him dealing with his guilt from that and trying to yeah. climb back to the top. And he doesn't get that ultimate prize. Like, that just feels so modern. And again, it just makes me think, like, anyone who says, oh, I wish times were like how they were, it makes you realize that they've always been the same. We Like, maybe things <laughs> switch here or there, the exact language of things, but there's always been this dichotomy in humanity. It's like, again, I, I don't know why I've been watching so many war movies, but I saw the Full Metal Jacket recently, and uh, Joker's, awesome. Joker's helmet with, like, the peace sign, and it says, Born to Kill. And he says, oh, duality of yeah, man. The duality yeah. of man. The, that, that Jungian thing. <laughs> this movie is about the duality of man, and so many war films should be, I'll say. And, oh, God, it was glorious. But, again, before the slap, I do want to get into how we get there. But, but Mike, I cannot believe it. I've alluded to it. I said it. We are back in Sicily on this podcast. We're talking about Palermo and, oh, my God, what do you think of this that? This was amazing. This was amazing. Do you think this is – do you think this is why they came to Francis? They are like – we need an Italian because he goes to Sicily. Or is this like, I wonder if this was something that he embellishes on because it's a Sicily section of the movie. <laughs> like, it's so funny because this was not, because like, I'm not a war buff. I'm not a history, I'm not that big a history buff. I'm definitely not a war buff. So like, you know, I knew World War II obviously fought all over the world. Um, I knew Italy was definitely involved. Okay. I'm not freaking flowers for Algernon over here or anything <laughs> but like I didn't realize like that like Patton was strolling through Sicily like liberal liberating Palermo for like the hundredth time right that's the best when he's like this place is the is the uh the most conquered city in the world and he like lists off everybody that and now we've over. conquered it yeah and now we're here <laughs> Mike you're so right I think too like history education, at least when we were growing up, you would think World War II started at D-Day when we were growing up, right? Like you would think, really, really, or or at least um, at least the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Yeah, right? but it was Pearl Harbor. D-Day was literally like the next paragraph, right? It was like the next day. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> and and it's so wrong and it's so false. I I hope now we're correcting that. I mean, they used to. You know, both you and I growing up downplay the Russian involvement. In, in Russia, they don't even talk about, you know, D-Day and stuff like that, right? But most of the war was fought over there. Uh, That's yeah. not discrediting the American heroes and the Allied heroes. I, I'm not no, here yeah. to do that. But, like, there's a global view of World War II. I just have always found it funny, even when I was a kid, that we ignore 
a lot of the Africa stuff, but the entire Italy campaign. Well, yeah. So, like, there's also two pivotal Cage films that open up World War II a lot. One is Wind Talkers. Oh, yeah. Okay, which is like over by like Iwo Jima and all that. And uh, the other is Captain Corelli's Mandolin, which is in Greece. And it was a lot of the Italian men and farmers that were basically like kidnapped, right, by Mussolini and like sent there to go uh, like fortify these Greek islands. And when they got there, they fell in love and stuff. I blame a lot of it too on Hollywood for not, uh, you know, portraying more battles and, and more history and, and things like that. Yeah, and I don't know if it's Hollywood's role to do that. They should. I loved Band of Brothers. I thought it was amazing. I th- a lot of what we get here is stuff we see in Band of Brothers as well. But uh, the Pacific, the sequel series, um, and we're getting Masters of the Air on Apple. I believe we're Masters of the Skies. We're getting the third one, actually. Third Time's a Charm, Mike. Oh, this, this year or early next year, I forgot when. But uh, the Pacific really got me into the whole idea of the Pacific War. And you're right, Wind Talkers is a great uh, or good film of that. Watch the uncut version, the director's cut, the John Woo cut. It's a great film. That one's great. I mean, but Letters from Iwo Jima. Like, we've had some Pacific oh, yeah. Pacific film, uh, Pacific War stuff. Uh, but that was always downplayed in school as well. And you know why? Because it was an ugly effing war. And we've talked about this on the Godfather episode, by the way, because Michael fought <laughs> in the Pacific. Right. So, right. Yeah. I don't want to repeat myself, but I, I'm always, again, this is no discredit to the brave men and women who fought in Europe. But the first real, real modern war, in my opinion, was the Pacific War. Like the, that island fighting, fighting in the jungle like that, that would mirror more. 20th and 21st century conflicts than that war in Europe, right? And again, I know we're getting a little a bit on a tangent here, but the Italy campaign is something that is not talked about enough. So we get it here. It's pretty cool. And it's a race with Monty and him. Montgomery becomes his main rival. They both have similar egos. It's just Montgomery, you know, again, I know a little bit of the history here. Montgomery did not have a people in the British Army, ahead of him. Patton had a bunch of people ahead of him, right? So, like, Monty could make these calls. Maybe he had one or two guys he had to go through. Patton had a world of people he had to go through there. So Montgomery's always going to get his stuff. Also, you know, earlier in the war, they would favor the British a lot because, again, they had been fighting it a long time. They deserved to get favored, right? You know, Eisenhower was appointed as superior commander, but he would defer to Montgomery because it was... Believe it or not, a and they, no, they alluded to it here. It's a very tense relationship, right? The British are always going to feel yes. superior to the Americans. They owned us at one point, right? Uh, so, like, it, it makes sense for them there, and and I get it too. You know, they are more threatened by this. They're getting bombed every day. Their civilians are getting killed every day. They should and did have a say in this conflict, right? The Americans can't roll in there and say, we call all the shots. And and Eisenhower's trying to balance this, but Montgomery, again, you know, I don't, I don't know why I'm well, knocking on wood. He's kind of a dick. I see his point, right? Because, like, you just laid it out. You know, they're the ones getting directly attacked. America's safe across the sea for all, like, okay, Pearl Harbor, right? But they're not getting attacked by the Nazis, getting attacked by the Japanese. There's, there's semantics involved, but the way 
Patton sees it is this from what I see is like, you know, you need our help. Like you fucking want our help or we could just go home. Like that was so America to me is the way he kind of is like, like, you don't tell us like, we're here to help you. You don't tell us how to help you. Like I'm giving you our help. Like you, I'm fucking Patton. I'm not bringing up your rear like this, that, like I'm going to go here, you go there and you do your thing and I'll do my thing and I'll probably do my thing a lot better. Like see you in the war. You know, that's kind of how he came across to me in those interactions and shit, especially when they're trying to take Sicily does what he's told. And then he's like, you know what? Fuck this. And he goes off and, and he liberates on his own. They both have sort of like a point, but they're both like, taking it to the nth degree here is what I say. They're not willing to compromise. You know, you have to like see, see a little where find a little place in the middle. Like you're on the same side here is, and it's like, there's, there's clearly sides within sides. Sides within sides. And they're both big egos and they're both using men who are GIs or, you know, Tommies fighting this war and they're both using them for, like to pump up their own egos, which is the shitty thing about this, right? Like Patton and Montgomery are putting, you know, men's lives on the line for their own glory. Now, look, there's a positive part to that bravado, right? It does inspire winning and all those things. But there's a negative part. And again, people are dying. Like Bradley gets completely screwed in the Sicily thing. His men are having to climb over mountains and essentially get killed. So Patton can march in and beat Montgomery to Sicily. Montgomery is doing similar things, though, because Patton, at least according to this film, and it's kind of true, right? Is a military genius. They say he should be a marshal under Napoleon. But Bradley came. Hey, he will say that he was. Yeah, again, he will say that he was. But Bradley could never live with the fact that Patton would, would surpass him in any kind of way. Montgomery hates people like Patton. Patton hates people like Montgomery. But they're essentially the same person on the same side. And I'm using air quotes. But yeah, yeah. different sides. And it, it's so. It's so fascinating. They do win the war, right? Okay, like, they they win, but, like, it feels like they could have won it so much easier if they just, like, if there wasn't this whole... And again, like, this is what the slap heard around the world eventually comes to partially symbolize, in my eyes, or maybe entirely symbolize, is, like, the bullshit of that ego, that bravado. You know, he even says, like, at the end of the movie, he's like, gone are the days where men will die heroically, right? Or something they're just going to he, – he's alluding to the point that they're just going to sit back and push buttons from now on and, like, war is not going to be personal. And he's like eh. – he's like – he's going to be sitting around a campfire one day going, used to be uh, – you'd be on the battlefield and you could stab a guy right through the heart and see the life drain from his eyes. And – he sees that like these guys are putting real people's lives at stake and he gets to that battlefield at one point and he sees the last man standing and he says what happened here and he's like well it went all fucking night to the point where we ran out of ammo and started going hand to hand and he looks right there and there's like, two guys each with like stabbing each other in the heart to death and they've died in like this rictus pose together of this like deadly embrace you know and oh, man i mean I don't know. It's just it, it's just like so hard to comprehend sometimes. Like the the scope of it all. Absolutely. Uh, I want to talk about the scene in Palermo uh, because it's amazing. 
But uh, before that, there's a quote that I'd love to say. It's Patton's issue is talking to the media, essentially. When he says stuff to the media, he says too much, right? Like, he doesn't keep his mouth shut. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think it's either Montgomery or someone accuses him of having a a pearl pistol. And he says, it's an ivory <laughs> pistol. Only a pimp from a cheap New Orleans whorehouse would carry a pearl pistol. I'm like, whoa. That's aggressive. Dude, there there are so many great lines. Like, he's really quick, and I wonder if that's mostly Coppola trying to make him feel more 70s, you know? Because he has all of these one-liners, and they just feel like they're straight out of a 70s cop movie or <laughs> something like that. Like that line. I mean, those are some of the more affable things that make him likable, is that he's got a wit and a sense of humor, and, like, he actually is kind of funny, even if he is, like kind of crotchety old bastard at heart (laughs) but mike what's interesting about his character i think is that he is not and this is what i thought about Patton before the film he is not once again i'll use this john wayne he is not just like swashbuckling gonna fight people he is fancy af as well right like earlier yeah he throws a party and it's it's all about the wine he speaks french better than anyone on the american side right like he is about the finer things. This pistol line shows it, too. He's not just like, let me grab my weapon and fight, right? No, yeah. He, he's way more of like a Ben Franklin wannabe. <laughs> it, where Ben Franklin was more of the talker, political-wise, like, he's the fighter. But, like, he still is trying to be like, uh, like I can, I can relate and adapt and hobnob with these guys, and like I could speak French, I could speak German, I could speak this, I could speak, I could at least say a few words in every language enough to like do a formal greeting or this or that or or, or whatever. Uh, so it's really interesting that side of him too, and he does seem to like the finer things from from time to time, or you know, he's always walk. I, there was one point where I was like, where does he actually live? Because he's always in like these huge fucking mansions, and like I'm sure they're just military property and stuff. But like, I can only imagine what his actual estate back in America must have looked like. It's weird. I think the John Wayne comparison and the whole cowboy sort of aesthetic is. I think it's less there now for me than if I saw this movie when it came out, when John Wayne was more relevant, I think, too. But John Wayne is pretty much, I feel, like a one-trick pony. Like, he is all just about that bravado and shit. He would never have the conscience to see what he did wrong, right? Like, Patton still, you know... He he'll concede. John Wayne John Wayne would like never concede to what he did was was wrong. At least Patton like got up in front of everybody and gave like a half-hearted apology of some kind, you know, and like took his lickings and like realized eventually, yeah, you know, I probably should have kissed that guy instead of like smacked him in the face. And the next time he is gonna kiss a soldier who's dying on the battlefield. It's funny that the before that even the peak probably uh, not of the film but of Patton's life is beating. Montgomery to Palermo and he beats him by like a matter of hours which is hilarious and this is one of my favorite scenes in the film you see you know the Scottish troops of Montgomery's playing oh dude I don't know what that song is <laughs> but you know that like famous Scottish song the bagpipes they're marching in all the ladies of Palermo are like oh you know like they're, they're all happy he thinks he's conquered the city he gets essentially the town hall and it's Pat in there with his men and 
they're they're about to play a John Philip Sousa song, one of like the big U.S. things. They have to pretend for formalities. Patton's smiling, and, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Montgomery says, don't smirk, Patton. I'm not going to kiss you. And he goes, it's a shame. I shaved close expecting a slap in the face. And it's just... Yes, that's what I was saying, bro. He talks like a cop or something. It's like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, my, it, what a mic It is. It's moment. a slam. Yeah. Yeah, dude. He's got these slams. Like, that's really, that's really fun. That, like, keeps the movie going, you know? Like, that they're smack-talking each other. And, and, dude, the best part is the button on that scene where they roll out each playing their music on top of each other at the same time. Did you catch that? 100%. Mike, this is a great scene in film history. I'm not using using hyperbole here. I mean, I am, but, like, this is legitimately, like, a scene that needs to be archived. Like, this is how you do it. Agreed. Yeah, just beautiful writing, just, like, spot-on directing. It's so funny. It's so funny. Like that, oh, man, good times. <laughs> so let's talk about the big moment in the film. and Slap heard around the world. I think we differ here because I really thought, like, again, I thought this was going to be towards the end of the movie. Yeah, I didn't know when it was coming. I just was saying that, like, I love how this is so much of the movie. Yeah. Like, like how, how it becomes like the, yeah. Like we both the, agree on that, how this is a guilt The story. inciting incident, basically. Like, this is it. Like, you know, he walks into the tent and there's a soldier, he's seeing soldiers who are hurt or whatever, but then one of them is shell-shocked, which we know is a real dude, thing. Wait, but, but, dude, the first guy he, the guy he sees, he's like wrapped up like a mummy. Like, this is like that Metallica video like, he's like all wrapped up, he's got like tubes coming out of him. Patton is like kind of trying to like feed him or talk to him or just tell him like doing a good job right so he's seeing like a guy who's like basically dying there and then he hears like this whimper and like this guy sobbing and this guy crying and he's like what the hell's wrong with you like you look fine (laughs) yeah i mean look he's shell-shocked this is a real thing pat and not a big mental health advocate we could say that right well i mean i don't think it was a well-known thing like it's so interesting to kind of try and see like what the perspective on this was i mean we find out like clearly he did the wrong thing you know but like it's as if this is the first time Patton's ever heard of like anxiety or depression or anything like that you know he just doesn't it doesn't register with him he just he just thinks you're scared like, that's all he knows is, like, you're afraid or you're not afraid, you know? And if you're not afraid, you, you have courage and you can go out there and be a hero. And if you're afraid, you're a coward and a chicken and you have a yellow belly. It's like, dude, this isn't the Old West anymore. He fought in World War One. He must have known shell shocking. But it's just, like, I don't think it was identified at the time, right? Like, I think the idea was, right. like, yeah, these men were just cowards. Well, I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. It's like, it seems the movie depicts it almost as... Well, I've never heard of this. Like, you're just a coward. You're scared. And he's like, I can't fucking take the bombs dropping. Like, I'm jumping when a door's shut. You know, someone someone drops, like, a pot or a pan, and I fucking freak out. Like, I, you know, that gets to a point, sir, where, like, I need to go. And, and he just, like, it doesn't – it's like he's malfunctioning. 
You know, and I feel like that's why he hits him because he's angry. He doesn't understand what's going on with this guy. He's like, I don't get this guy. Like, and it makes me angry that I can't figure him out. So I just hit what I don't like. And that's what I've been doing this whole war. So maybe that'll make it go away. <laughs> You're not wrong. It's just completely against his programming. So, yeah, it makes sense. And it's the big inciting incident of the film. Eisenhower reprimands him. People are, are upset. Dude, everyone in the tent. Everyone in the tent yeah, they're like gets up like they they look at him like, Oh my god, like okay, now I see. <laughs> and and I don't know, I was under the misconception that the movie sort of treated it as like well, look, this is was this perfect guy and oh, he happened to make this fatal mistake, right? He made one mistake and everything harmed him, but like you're right. The people in the moment, they're like, did he just fucking do that? You know? Like, which is interesting, right? I, I would have thought it was more common. I, I don't know. Again, like, I just saw Full Metal Jacket. and Well, me too. <laughs> you know, because, because of what Hollywood's fed me. Because of, well, Full Metal Jacket, like, those are Marines. That's Marine Corps training, I think. And that was a very kind of um, disobedient guy. In that, but that's a whole kind of different thing i think yeah it's a different thing but it's i don't know you when you hear the term old school you think that's more common but clearly again in 1970 it was considered inappropriate and in 1940 whatever it was considered inappropriate so it's just really like uh enlightening to think that like oh this shit is not always cool right and it's definitely not yeah. cool in this circumstance. You know, it wasn't it wasn't cool in full metal jacket either, right? Like what happened to that drill sergeant? He got fucking shot in the chest by the guy he was bullying the entire time. And that's basically what this comes down to is like he's just a big fucking bully, you know, and like he sees this kid and he wants to shove him in the fucking locker. And he even says he goes, "I'm going to send you back to the front line and you might get shot and you might die." But if you don't go, by God, like, I'll put you in front of a firing squad and shoot you myself. He fucking says that in front of everybody in the tent. Yeah, and that's it's an ego thing, too. He's riding high. No, yeah. No, he thinks he's just, like, unstoppable at that point. And it's funny that, like, it's true in all our lives, right? A mistake like that could stop. That's almost conquering a country. Obviously, we don't do stuff like that, but, like... Well, well, Brian, do I have to direct you to the second slap heard around the world not too many years ago? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Will Smith. <laughs> I forgot. Winning an Oscar, right? Ooh, I wonder if he watched I that. I mean, that's, there, there's an angry guy slapping a, a defenseless guy, you know, another guy, like, in front of all of us this time. It's sort of the same thing, like, just repeat, you know? I mean, it's not war, but but, like, it's... Tell me the differences, like, sit me down and tell me, like, a lot of the differences. Like, there's a few for sure, but it's the same sort of problem perpetuating. And honestly, I feel bad for Chris Rock. I feel bad for this soldier. But I also feel bad for Will Smith. And I feel bad for Patton because we all have let our emotions get the best of us at times. It's not forgiving heinous acts, by the way. Right? Like, I'm not saying that. Of course. But, like, this is a military genius who's now derailed because his ego got the best of him and i understand if anyone's listening out there and it's like i don't feel bad for Patton. i totally get that too but i do because 
he's a complex character and he can't get out of his own way. He should not have hit that yeah. person. And again, from the jump, when he's reprimanded, he does make that apology. Is it a little bit of a half-assed apology? Yes, but I don't think he sees it that way. No, not at all, yeah. You know, I think he thinks it's a big moment for him. And he gets removed from his command there anyway. You're like, holy shit. And it's a big moment. Yeah, like, I don't really feel bad for Smith and Rock because they're millionaires, right? They'll be fine. They're even making money off of that. When it came to Patton, it's like, this is really all, like, he had. And, like, he didn't, like, it would be one thing if, I guess, he knew what he was doing, right? But, like, whether it be caught up in the moment or just the way he was as a person and 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 his morals and you know his sensibility and all of that what he expected out of a man to be a man and all that bullshit and what that meant back then and all that it, it had the ability to kind of like ruin him permanently forever and like not just his name but like he would never have a job like he would never be a colonel again or command anything or a general or any kind of shit right like a sergeant even or whatever like he would just get like eventually like the end of the movie he kind of just gets like for the most part it seems like you're good to go you're out of the military now like so long no more war like bye bye Patton. but that just you know maybe would have come a lot earlier uh had things been a little more severe but i don't know i mean it it's tough man i mean (laughs) i don't want to pull from cobain's suicide note but like the whole neil young thing like is it better to burn out or to fade away right like yeah that's the other thing too dude it's like for what he is asked to do for not just our country but like what he was doing for the world okay you give the guy just like maybe a second chance okay like he apologized. He knew what he did was wrong, he, and he never did it again. And he actually, from what I understand, like, made steps to try and change himself as much as possible. Like, you know, forced himself to, to do things he didn't want to do because it was the only way he could survive uh, to eventually kind of reclaim a little bit more of his glory once, just one more time. But, but to be fair, like, it's realistic to think two things, right? One, uh, you could still, no matter what, like, one decision can ruin your entire life. Like, that is just realistic, right? Uh, so, yeah. so someone who doesn't drink, I, you know, I shouldn't be talking, but, like, if I, from drinking this bottle, I'll go out and drive right now. You know, you could say I was a nice guy all I want, but if, if I drive and... and God forbid, kill somebody, you know what I mean? That's me making a poor decision, and I might never come back from that, and, and that's understandable, right? Yeah. So, like, it, it's some people do deserve second chances, but r- in real life, sometimes you don't get it. He's given second chances here, but he doesn't always, like, yes, Mike, he puts his head down at certain points that we'll get into, but at other points, towards the end of the movie, he's talking about fighting allies, and he, you might think he's right, and he could be right, He's disrespecting the high command by the stuff he's saying. Well, because, yeah, he knows he's uh that's a last ditch effort, I feel like, on his end. But, yeah, I get what you're talking about. Like, he, he's not a changed man in the film. A lot of what he does is because he feels like he just, he, he literally says, I'll get on my belly to get a command again. I have to say, though, that I was shocked, shocked. I don't know, I shouldn't be shocked, but, like, is this the first film we've ever had with an intermission? Oh, yeah. And I thought my intermission on the disc was like, 
like too long. Like I was like fast forwarding. It was like almost five or six minutes. I was like, why even just put the title up and let's get right back into it. By the way, if you're listening now, this might still be the case. I think this month this film is free on YouTube. So you could just oh, sick. you could just go and check it out there. But it was also long in that cut. So at this point, when we return from intermission, he's sort of like a prop. Um, he's doing a lot of speeches. He's in Corsica. He's uh, when he's ta- where he's talking about Napoleon. He's in a bunch of other places. Is this is this when he's talking to the like the ladies' lunch group? Oh, that's later. Like that's that. later because that's oh, that's, that's my favorite. Story. Well, I mean, we can get there now because. But I, I did have a note before that. Uh, he gets a dog, that bull terrier. Right? Oh, I love the dog. <laughs> Originally, William after William the Conqueror, but he calls him Willie. Uh, because he's a because he's a scaredy dog, <laughs> but this is Eisenhower, and to an extent Bradley, and to an extent like other people in the high command, testing him. They're like, go on the sidelines for a bit. If you tow the company line, if you get our you know allies motivated, we'll probably give you another command because you're talented. But dude, but what what were they thinking when they're like, you know what you should do? Go on a press tour. <laughs> We know he's like terrible at handling the press. There's a the, my one of my favorite scenes towards the end when he's on the horse and the press is around and he's just like practicing his horse stuff and they're asking him questions and stuff. But like, you know, he's not eloquent like in the English language. He might be able to speak all these other languages, but he's got a dirty mouth. You know, he he speaks like a sailor, and like he's kind of like scary looking with his yellow teeth and his cigar and his crazy eyebrows and all this and he's very imposing it's like this is not a guy you want in front of the like the cameras necessarily like it's one thing to be like oh it's Patton like the great general and everything but that's this seems to just be like you know he's selling a movie or something well I think it's twofold Mike I think you're right in a sense that like he's a guy He's more popular than a lot of other generals, right? Like, there are other people doing what he does, but they don't have the, you call it ego, but you call it like that. He has, he has a celebrity status about it. Celebrity. It is like celebrity. He would be on, like, The Tonight Show. Absolutely. Like, right? Like, you mentioned Norman Schwarzkopf before, right? You had, like, the understated yeah. quiet Colin Powell, who was popular, right? But you had Storm and Norman Schwarzkopf and Desert Storm, right? And, like, he... Just was brusque and he could talk about things, right? Like, this is Patton. And Patton, I think it serves twofold, this speaking tour. Because if you like Patton, you're like, okay, this is a chance to show that he can tow the company line. And if he really is going to make an effort to be on our side and and do good, he will overcome his ego and just, again, tow the company line. And if you don't like Patton, you're like, yeah, he's an asshole. If people want to give him a second chance, put him in this arena and let's see what happens, right? So I think Uh, I imagine the Allied High Command is talking about him and they're like, if he can do this, we can trust him again. And everyone, whether you like him or hate him, can agree on that, right? Because they know, again, talent is the great, not equalizer, but talent. There are people in the NBA, MLB, right, who are terrible people, but they're famous and they're there, and they're making a lot of money because they're talented. And Patton is talented AF, and he's gonna get second chances because of this. And I feel bad because he's trying his best 
to capitalize on these, but he can't help himself. And you bring up this ladies' organization in the UK. They're like in London. They're like, yeah, we're not going to tell the press. And then he he rips the Russians. And of course, (laughs) why wouldn't the press get wind to it? You can't shut up that amount of people. Yeah, no, I, I, I dig it. Like, it's just, you know, I think the, the movie gets me to feel for him because we spend so much time with him. And, you know, you see how frustrated he becomes, unable to maneuver to the best of his abilities. He constantly is saying things like, I should be killing people like i should be up in the body count at one point it's funny like we see the nazis in the bunker like upping the his body count later in the movie and stuff they're like number killed number wounded like total missing and they're just like keep revising that the closer he moves in uh but i thought it was very smart for the film to like basically you know they take everything away from him and like put him by himself with one or two confidence and like you know he has to maneuver that portion of the war like the non-fighting part the part that he has basically avoided the whole time that the other generals are more fluent in and why they are now in control of him you know why he is now under um bradley right like bradley comes back after the slap and is like, you know, you can't do this. You can't do that. They're taking this from you. Like I'm higher up than you are now. And he's like, God damn Bradley. Now you're my boss. Like this kind of shit. Um, that's how it feels watching the movie. Okay. Like from a contemporary standpoint, Patton be like, Oh man, like, I don't know. Like he, he seems really fucking sad about this shit. And he does say like, you know, he does seem remorseful for what, for what he, he wishes he didn't do that, right? But like at the same time, like he he's got this plan in his head. It seems where he's like, all right, they think they could get me. Like they're testing me. Like they don't know me because I'm fucking Patton, and like I could do this standing on my head, or at least I'm gonna do this just so I can get back to doing what I should. That's what this whole segment to me kind of feels like. He can't get out of his own way, though. I I, don't, I disagree a little bit with the Bradley thing. I think he's. Again, so desperate to get back in command. And he likes and respects Bradley, at least on the film, right? That when he's put under Bradley's command, he's actually like, oh, this is an opportunity. Yeah, but then what happens, though? They get into that battle and, like, Bradley almost gets exploded in the Jeep and stuff because of, you know, like, listening to him. Well, I like that Bradley asserts himself. I like that Bradley says... You know, a bunch of times, like, I'm not the one who wanted you under my command. I know you think we're friends. Essentially, he says, I know you think we're friends, but you fucked yeah. me a lot. A lot. And he does like, Bradley doesn't hate Patton, but Bradley also knows the best of Patton and the worst of Patton. And he's experienced it, and he's trying to win a war here, and he knows Patton is good, but he needs the best of Patton, and he can't have any of the worst of Patton. And unfortunately, we get both yeah the best and the worst here yeah it's tough you got to kind of keep him on a leash but you don't want to keep him on a short leash because he'll bite you but you can't keep him on a long leash either because like then he'll like start some shit too far for you to like get at him before you know it's weird it's like uh <laughs> that's how i Patton with the ego is necessary because it makes him an effective military commander right like Patton thinking he's reincarnated makes him good at his job but it also makes him bad at his job i want to take a quick segue 
to two things that I immediately thought of during these scenes. And I'm like, holy shit. The first is Uncle Francis related. Okay. Patton and Bradley speaking reminds me so much of Apocalypse Now. Oh, uh, yes, dude. I was, okay. Keep going. No, I'm just going to say, so you remember when Kilgore says, like, exactly, right? (laughs) Someday this war is going to end, and he has that look in his face like, man, that sucks. And even, uh, even, what's his name, Martin Sheen's character, what he talks about when he goes back home, and it's not, you know, uh, he doesn't even know what to do with himself, so he goes back to war, right? Like, Patton fits in line with these guys. Like, he is a warrior. This is his only fate, right? He's not going to cycle back. He's not good at these speeches because he is a killer. He's a warrior, and that's all he's about. And this is where yeah. he's found his happiness and his glory. What effort, What What's the exact line he says? But he says something along the lines of like, oh, this is my opportunity. The whole world is at war. And like essentially, like I'm not getting in on the fight. And you're like, don't you want this war to end? <laughs> yeah, the whole world is at war except for me or something like that. Yeah, everyone's in on the fighting except for me. Oh, shit. So you thought of Apocalypse Now too then? Yeah, yeah, dude. So like I was almost sitting there going like, oh, shit. So like basically Kil- Kilgore is what if Patton in Vietnam? Like that is kind of uh, my thesis statement for for the next time I watch that movie. Is like, oh, Coppola, like just drop that right in here just to make that comment. And it's funny, like they're both from California, but you wouldn't think so, right? Like it's kind of a surprise that they're both from California. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it is kind of weird. You wouldn't because it's such a liberal state, but yeah. The other thing I think of, Mike, is this movie sort of reminds me of both parts and maybe we said this because i feel like we've talked about this film but both parts of soderbergh's che uh films oh yeah okay Uh uh-huh it's like one part is like a rise of sort of a warrior and the other part is sort of like how the politics get involved and like where he sort of finds himself when he doesn't sort of fit in, if that makes sense. I know that's like a very broad. But yeah, it's almost it, it almost to me just feels like um, like building the character and all of the goodwill. Then there's an incident, and then watching that destroy the character <laughs> as hard as they're trying to hold on. Right? Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, it deals with like the makings of a quote unquote hero. You know what I mean, and like what that involves, and the humanity of that. Yeah, the sac the sacrifices that like you have to make as a human to become a legend, right? The things you need to give up as like a person if you want to transcend and, and be be known forever, uh, and like live on as a legend. Like you, you truly have to like at some point. Like you could argue that, right? Like there's a lack of certain humanity to these guys. Like even Patton when he's slapping that dude, he's lost it. You know, and like somewhere deep down that's in there in him and like that's what drives him, uh, that sort of lack of compassion. And it's weird that he's fighting not that it's not weird that he's fighting a war because he's into killing, you know, but that he's fighting for peace. Like that is the conundrum, right? We fight for peace. And like I don't know if he ever clearly understood what that meant. He's like, No, there's always gonna be a war. It's like, no, you idiot, like we're doing this to stop. And he's like, What do you mean stop? Patton regains his glory, though, at least some of it, when it comes to... And this is also, by the way, depicted in, in Band of Brothers, which I mentioned. 
um, when it comes to sort of the actions of the Battle of the Bulge and the Germans kind of, you know, making their last stand on the Western Front. And it's the 101st Marines trapped and they're looking for volunteers. And we're talking about, of course, um, you know, those uh, soldiers trapped in Bastogne that Patton ends up rescuing. In real life, like, this is insane, but, like, in the film, Mike, 1970, the snow troops, the snow tank battles here. Oh, man. I was mesmerized. Dude, I that's another thing I love about this is that we go all the way down from Africa all the way up to the mountains of Germany. It's like uh, it's like what they talk about in the movie Fury, one of the greatest World War II movies, the Brad Pitt one. Uh, they're a tank division, and he's like, I've been fighting Nazis in Africa. I'm fighting Nazis all the way up the coast. I'm fighting Nazis in Germany. He's like, I'll fight Nazis anywhere. But like, I love the changes of location, and now suddenly everything is in that that snow i was just i was just surprised by that whole like um you know all of those tanks and everything moving through the country and all that like they really went to a lot of these places to shoot just like a couple shots uh it's really remarkable to see them you know do this entire production around the world but yeah the snow looked crazy like it forget about like trying to film in that like imagine having to fight in that Absolutely, and you think about it, right? Like, he kind of predicts this, at least the movie shows that, that, like, he's like, hmm, they've never done this, so they're probably going to do it. So he's ready for it. So when they're looking for a volunteer, he, they're like, when can you get there? He's like, 48 hours. They're like, come on, give yourself more time. He's like, no, I got this. And, oh, again, insane depictions. It's beautiful. The movie has a good use of newsreel, too. I, I actually yeah. liked it. What do you think of it? Yeah, it's it, it's um, it's effective and sparingly. Like uh, I think there's only like two or three of them throughout the entire movie, but like uh, they're great for like catching the audience up in a three-hour movie from time to time, you know. And they're also great for for like sort of pivoting the attention, like letting you know, like okay, like here's what we're gonna kind of like get into now kind of like the repercussions of this like this is what we're talking about so like here we go uh so i thought that was kind of cool yeah i thought it was i thought it was awesome unfortunately again so like he wants to march on berlin and he thinks he can but the politics sort of aren't allowing him uh so he's pretty upset about this he ends up not getting to march on berlin of course the russians get there first he tries he, he does try <laughs> i love though after the war is over uh, or like at least the war in europe is over there's that party with the russian guy and he doesn't want to drink with him at first oh. oh that's so good dude he is so pissed a that the a that the war is over but b that he's gotta like our enemy is now like our friend he's like what is this shit he's like just what and he says right like when the guy when he calls the guy a son of a bitch and then he's like you're a son oh. of a bitch and he's like you know what you're right we'll toast to that dude that was so revealing too because it's like that's right when he's like I want to take this guy out like this is the next step like the war isn't over it's like sure like did they talk about the bomb at all I can't remember but they've dropped it clearly right mm. and he's like 
We're in an ambiguous stage here. I'm not sure. That okay. I'm not okay. Sure that but he's, but he's definitely saying things like, "Do not divide Berlin in this shit. Like, do not give them any footway into. Don't give them any occupy space in Germany. You know, don't give them anything. Like, we should be at these guys. Like, we got them right where we want them. They think we're friends now. Like, now is when we turn on them. You know, <laughs> like, leave it to me. I'll conquer the world. To the point." Where and this is a true story. Like Patton is becomes so anti-Russia that he is keeping Nazi. Like so, he's given command of a part of Germany. They're like, you know, you're the military commander here, and he's keeping Nazis in. Not that he believes in Nazi ideology, but he sees. Let's be honest. There is I, I say that, but there is a part of Nazi ideology he agrees with, and that's the militant nature of it. That's falling in line, following your leader, sort of mm-hmm. stuff, right? So I think he sees that. We don't get to see a lot of this, but we see he sees that in some of those people, and he's and he keeps them in his administration, which he gets chastised for, of course. Well, I think I think we see that in the opening of the movie that he is all about propaganda. Like he loves that as a weapon, as a tool. I think that's why we see newsreel in the movie too, because that was the gov- that was propaganda. You know, that's how they fed the news to the masses and stuff. And you know, they was very selective how and what the pop the population was told. So I think you're not wrong at all. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if you know. Like we said before, like if he was born in Germany, we might be speaking German right now. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's not a crazy thought. The The one scene, though, I do love, and you mentioned it, like, so he's an equestrian champion. I think he went to the Olympics for it, right? Like, and he's on that oh, horse. This is amazing. <laughs> this is amazing because it's so hard to do this stuff. What do you mean? Like, to do, like, the equestrian kind of, well, first, like to, I don't think he's riding with a saddle, if I'm not mistaken. Like that's what I understand very hard to do. But like, they're not quite doing like that horse dancing stuff. But but he's com- commanding this horse. Oh yeah, so yeah. incredibly well, like as if it's just a part of him, you know. And so like that is just like George C. Scott is great. Uh, is probably like a well rode person in real life knows how to ride horses really well but it's just like it's funny to see this big giant patent guy just so graceful on a horse like dainty almost but that's again that's the guy we've learned to know right like he is eloquent he is right. b- both brutal and refined um and he's on the horse which is an ancient weapon of war right like since we've been able to domesticate horses they've been used for war and it's getting phased out by by everything else around him and he is actually being poignant and it's very 1970s right he's taught or 1970 itself he's talking about uh they're asking about missiles so that's why i don't think the the bomb has dropped yet they're talking about like oh germany has these bombs and these missiles and that's the that's the future of war missiles and he hates it and he, he's not wrong if if you like i hate to say it this way if you like the sport of war that really takes things out of it like again let's go to today right it's a drone attack again i'm not i'm not trying to be political at all but is it no, i take is, your point is a yeah. drone attack really the art of war is that the chess match Patton likes absolutely not right Look, you could argue it saves lives. You could argue that these bombs save lives. But to Patton, he, he talks about it like, you know, you could pr- essentially press a button, 
kill people. That's not real war. That there's no, nothing admirable in that. And that is like to me what's so funny is that there's anything admirable about war you know like it's that weird kind of like i know where he's coming from right oh the honor the duty like i get it we want to defend our countries and live in a fair and safe democracy around the world of course we do you know and like war i understand it's essential part of being on this planet from time to time okay but there's nothing that ever says that we have to treat it as like heroics or like something that's like a good thing or like try to kind of you know rationalize going to war as something chivalrous or heroic or any of that like i don't know about that these days you know like can we just say like this shit sucks but it's something we have to do in order to survive but like we don't need to pat each other on the back and give each other like medals and saying like let's do this again sometime, you know, it's like, I kind of like and uh, feel better in a world where, like, less lives have to be put at, like, you can just push a button, like, that guy can sit in a room and push a button and look at a screen and and decide from sending, like, a hundred guys out there, women or people, to get potentially killed, I don't know, it's, uh, again, We've said it a hundred times today. It's not a political podcast, but like in the context of Patton and what he's thinking, like he's just scared of the future, you know? And like the idea again is not to fight war and not his, his idea is not that. No, it definitely is not that because he just wants to go after the Russians. Now he wants to continue it and you get, it, it sounds screwed up. Dude, he would choke that Russian out in front of everybody at that party if he could he you could see the look on his face before they called each other a son of a bitch and even then he's probably thinking i'll kill him last you know <laughs> like and, and again you get a sense that like part of his motivation i know he's talking about like and he's not wrong like the russians are the bad guys now essentially but part of his motivation is like he's still searching for that glory he's still searching to be the hero yeah, he needs he needs the next hit. Like he needs to bounce back, you know. Like he needs he needs to go on tour again. Like it's just not, he never get it out of his system. It almost reminds me of the end of the Hurt Locker, right? And like we've talked about with um, a little bit, like on the show tonight. But like you know, Jeremy Renner gets back, and we've seen what he's been going through this like incredibly high stress situation where he almost dies every day, and he gets back home, and he's like, you know what? I got to get back. I'm going to go try and defuse more bombs. Like, it's just all I know. Like, I've been programmed. And I feel like that's kind of where he is. 100%, Mike. 100%, right? The Hurt Locker is a great comp for this, too. Some people, when they get just used to that, like, war mode or whatever it is in your life, right? Like, you can't go back to civilian life. And there's no... you you questioned where he lives in the u.s i don't think he lives in the u.s right i think he's constantly at war like i think you know he's either on a base preparing for war or at war like in the field somewhere it's fascinating it's interesting but this is what you know his ultimate downfall is that he can't shut his mouth again he talks about fighting the russians he keeps those nazis in and he doesn't have a good reason for it except that he wants to fight the russians and he gets unfortunately relieved of his command again and in this movie that's sort of like the end of it right like bradley meets up with him and they talk about going to dinner and there's that cart thing that we talked about earlier on right Uh, he's like oh imagine if i got killed by an ox cart ha 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 right and 
we we know that like in a couple of weeks he's going to essentially die from a car accident no, not in glory sort of just fading yeah. away yeah it's just if the if the ox car didn't crash into a car right like that's the omen right like that's what i thought was so cool that's what made me think of oh is he depicting like the accident and saying like imagine if uh that didn't happen but no i like that bit of foreshadowing there at the end is like Patton it's like ah all right. It, it almost has that sense of like, um, okay, maybe there won't be another war tomorrow, but maybe someday. And like, I'll be around. And when their war comes, like they'll call old Patton and he'll come a running and we'll win the day. Right. And like the movie kind of ends with him strolling off into the sunset. And uh, it's just kind of like, they'll like, you'll last like another year maybe. And then like, that's it. It's kind of sad. One thing I read that was interesting about this movie is that like, it was actually a cost-cutting move to... Yeah, we see some battle scenes, but you know how, like, you never see him, like, in the moment of glory? Like, you never see, like, the winning move in a battle? It was a cost-cutting move. They didn't actually depict mm-hmm. a lot of battles, and they would use the newsreel, but I think it's better that way, right? Yeah. We, we see the one battle, like we discussed last episode. We almost see the whole thing of that. And then in here, we see parts. Like I mentioned, like, we see him walking through the, like... The battlefield and we see them approaching the battle like mid battle and stuff and some explosions and things but then at the end it's basically like that charge to berlin and along the way he'll give a speech and we'll see some battle without uh like kind of context really it's just like a montage of them like kicking ass and stuff so i thought it was pretty effective you know it's about the guy mm-hmm. right like i kind of respect the movie for doing that and like not just being an action film but like at times saying hey here's some action if that's what you're looking for but mostly like got me engaged with who like this dude what like what was he gonna do like i was more interested in in him i think than like seeing more more battles and i and i think that's the point right we don't want to see Patton's glory necessarily here we want to see the human being at this point and I think we do get to see it. And again, the the tease of like, oh, could you imagine I died that way? And him sort of, we, you know, we know that he sort of dies that way. But the end, I thought this end was so beautiful where he's just talking about like how in Rome, where he probably thinks he was alive, you know, the conquering general got a parade and, you know, you display all your winnings, essentially, and everyone go there and you go under the ceremonial arch. But he talks about the, how there was a, like a slave behind them who, who would say I've, what, something about like triumph fading away, like this is temporary or whatever. Oh, all glory is fleeting. And that's. Yes. They tell us right there. That's a boom. Theme of the movie, right? says it all (laughs) wraps it up perfectly like if you don't leave the movie going like oh uh then it didn't do its job (laughs) 100 percent, and uh i don't know i think of macarthur at that point right like macarthur is a very similar character to Patton, where like i mean he's even more successful but eventually like in the korean war his ego gets the best of him you could argue or just his strategies right and he was given a speech in congress and he said and famously, like when, you know, he was forced to retire and famously he said, like, what was it? Old soldiers never die. They just fade away. Right. So like you could die in the glory of the battle. That's what Patton like wants us his dream, essentially. But if you don't, you sort of just fade away. Right. Brian, 
you, you either die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain. Like that's kind of what they're all saying, right? That that old Batman quote. <laughs> it's like he lived too long because they turned on him at the end. Hundred <laughs> percent. Like, let me pull the quote from the end of the movie. And again, it could just be Coppola. It could just be Pat actually said this, but. For over a thousand years, Roman conquerors returning from wars enjoyed the honor of triumph, a tumultuous parade. In the procession came trumpeters, musicians, and strange animals from conquered territories, together with carts laden with treasure and captured uh, armaments. The conquerors rode in a triumphant chariot with dazed prisoners walking in chains before them. Sometimes his children robed in white stood with him in the chariot or rode in trace horses. A slave stood behind the conqueror, holding a gold crown and whispering in his ear that all glory is fleeting. And we end that way, and we end simply with him walking his dog, which is the least, not, not that it's like shameful, but it's the least like, like what he's depicting, the least glorious way. He's not a hero right now. He's an old man who's been relieved of all his commands, essentially walking his dogs and we end there and i think this is perfect so mike this was your real first watch this is my real first watch what do you think of Patton? i love this movie yeah like um not just because uh it's written by coppola and directed by schaefner who directed planet of the apes or anything like that but like yeah, I think it comes together. Like it's way different than I was expecting it to be, right? Like I think I was expecting it to be way more of like this propaganda puff piece of like what a great guy Patton was and look how great a general in this and then at the end be like, Oh, like he did this one thing and now the movie's over because like that's the end of him. Uh I did not think that the inciting incident would be the slap you know like uh like i love that it the way the movie told the story that it, like it set up this guy as like invincible and then he did the thing that caused sort of um like he's his own worst enemy kind of situation i didn't see that coming with such a kind of hard turn you know and i love that the movie spent the rest of the movie kind of like dealing with that like honestly you know like trying to trying to get the character to realize like why or like trying to get the audience to realize why the character is the way he is you know and like trying to get the character to realize why everything's happening around him and people are treating him this way all of a sudden and stuff so like it's pretty it's a very interesting sort of like turn there i think it's beautifully shot i think it's incredibly well acted i think it's surprisingly funny I don't know about its historical accuracy, but as far as like its entertainment value, I think it's through the roof. Like I think if I think George C. Scott wins you over as Patton the character, like immediately. Like I think he's a great character, whether or not he was really like this, uh, as as big as they made him bigger than he really was or whatever like he fits on screen perfectly like the the screen was made for for this kind of story and i'm glad it's three hours and they didn't skimp on anything and uh yeah it's a freaking blast i was i'm glad i finally saw it got it off of my um homework list you know it's been on there a long time i'm with you mike i love this movie now i didn't think i would enjoy it as much as i did it feels so much more modern than i thought it would and I can't wait to watch it again, right? Like, this is going to be one of my favorites now. So uh, I guess, oh, surprise, surprise, Patton is good. But honestly, kind of surprised to me. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, yeah, honestly, kind of surprised as well to the degree in which it holds up to, like you say, how how modern it feels. Or I guess it's just like the more things change, the more they stay the same, Brian. You know, like that's just uh, that's another moral to the story. So, well, Mike, the one thing on this episode that we be remiss, really, not to announce is that we are still looking for a cannoli sponsorship. We are still looking for. A vacation sponsorship. Send us to Sicily. Yep. Don't draft us and put us in the military, but send us to Sicily. Nope. Right? Yep. I am looking for a wine sponsorship now because all my wine was stolen. Yeah. So uh, yeah. we are open for business here at Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. The wine cellar is open. And speaking of cannolis, Mike, this was a pleasure to talk Patton. I can't wait to talk another thing with you. We got a lot of work on High School Slumber Party. I'm just letting you know. We, we have a lot of work to oh, do there. Oh, yeah. But uh, why don't you plug some of your other shows? I've already talked High School Slumber Party, so uh, what else you got? Yeah. Okay, so I just got a quick little list. Uh, Dan and I are on hiatus from The Monsters That Made Us, but if you'd like to listen to Dan and I talk about some horror part threes, go to Third Time's a Charm, where we're recording some stuff over the summer while we're on break over on my show. Not necessarily Universal Movies, but some of them are. We've done Psycho 3, we've done Army of Darkness, and we're going to do Final Destination 3 next, and who knows what else, so check that out. Joey and I just uh, did an Elvis, and we're going to do another one soon, but we did Riley Keough's directorial debut, War Pony, which was a really great movie. Everyone should definitely check that out. It is really good movie. Wait, War Pony or uh, War Horse? War Pony. It's not War Horse, because that's a horse that it's goes not, to war. Yes, it's War Pony. It's about a bunch of – or it's specifically about two people on the reservation uh, dealing with res life and um, growing up young and growing up fast. Very heavy, but worthwhile movie. Check that one out for sure. We also did a new Cage Club. Hey, Nick Cage is back. Spoiler alert, in case you don't know, but the director himself spoiled this. He was in The Flash. Uh, So listen to our episode on The Flash with Nick Cage. See where he was in that movie. And then we did another um, Watch the Throne with Charlize. We're catching up on that. She was in Doctor Strange Part 2, the um, Multiverse of Madness. She did a post-credit scene, which we covered in that episode. So those are all the ones out recently now that that are new from me. She's Cypher in that movie, right? No, she's like Cleo or something like that. Cypher is from Fast. I know. I thought that was where they, the worlds collide. No? That would be awesome. They should. It's the multiverse. So <laughs> let's get to it. <laughs> well, Mike, always a pleasure to talk with you again. We got a lot of podcasting to do. and I, I'm, Now that I'm settled, we'll, we'll get to it. But I keep saying it. Let's do it. Cannolis, guns. Yeah. Leave them. Take them. <laughs> do what you want. <laughs> um, leave the guns. Take the cannolis. This is the end, beautiful friend. This is the end, my only friend. The end of our elaborate plans. The end of everything that stands. Safety or surprise, the end. I'll never look 
Show.